This program deals with devil worship and satanic beliefs. It contains explicit scenes and descriptions of violent crimes and rituals. Americans are asking who attacked our country. You have declared a subliminal jihad against the United States. Can you tell us why? Everything pertaining to what's happening has never come to the surface. The world will never know the true facts of what occurred, my motives. And night fell on a different world. And Iblis is thinking, you know, I should be getting this position, not Adam, and this guy is created from dirt. And how did the army feel about you being head of the Temple of Seth? And the conspiracy theorists can say what they will, but... I want you to give me power over Adam, and I want you to give me soldiers and minions and all of these things. The people have, have so much to gain and have such a material motive for putting a position on me. We'll never let the truth come about more to me. And I want you to be able to give me the ability to whisper into the hearts of mankind. And uh, who was the grotto leader? I don't remember his name. You don't remember the name of a person who involved you in murder? Are they speaking very high position, Jack? Yes. Welcome back to Subliminal Jihad. I'm your co-host, Dimitri. I'm Khalid. And today, the long-awaited series is back. The Grotto of Truth Q and A, Chapter Eight. Yeah, yeah we were. Think- yeah, we were just saying that we actually have. We decided to give it a little bit of birth. You know, after Ramadan, we were kind of, uh, you know, uh, easing up on some of the recordings, and uh, as a result, uh, we, you know, wanted to put a couple more episodes out before we did another Q and A. But I think. As a result of that, we ended up getting like 40 questions that we have right now. So mm-hmm. we're going to get to all of them, but we might just do 20 or so in this Q&A installment. But, you know, they're they're coming. They're coming. Yeah, they're coming. They're coming. Uh, and I think, you know, th- since we did take a break, those next 20 are basically the ones from June anyways. So today we're yeah. tackling... The ones from May that mm-hmm. you know, we didn't get to tackle yet, but some really good ones in here. Got a lot of new people in the grotto, and yeah. you know, for anybody again who's wondering what that is, that's our Discord server for uh, people who sign up on Patreon. So if you sign up on Patreon to the Alwar frequency, you can gain access to the Grotto of Truth and become an acolyte. Very chill Truth. space, very yes, cool space, very good vibes. Space. It's a no good beef vibes. zone. Yeah. No beef zone, yeah, uh, absolutely no beef zone, and yeah, lots of good conversation, lots of good like materials always circulating around, interesting people flowing through the the grotto. So yeah, definitely mm-hmm. uh, big benefit of subscribing in addition to getting all the extra content, like you know the episodes about reptoids and giants and uh, some other stuff, uh, <laughs> Soviet parapsychology, yeah. etc. Yeah. Um, Rumi, that was a good, good one. You know, I'm just remembering all of, all of the me episodes, but there were also some Larouche, but, yeah, yeah, Larouche, yeah, yeah. And basically, you know, the way this goes is we try every month. There's a questions sub chat. You can submit a question, and we will eventually get to it. Eventually, and we will. Yeah, Guaranteed. that's what we're gonna do tonight. Exactly. Well, that's, there's that's one the exception. Subliminal. There's a couple questions that are just like, are you guys going to do an episode like about this? We're going to answer some of those questions, but some of them, like if you ask a question like that and we don't answer it, the uh, the answer is yes, that we will (laughs) eventually do an episode about that. Uh, So if you're like, what? Yeah, Uh, that's the one thing that you might not hear answered just because 
as we get, you know, more people in, in the grotto, we're getting more, more questions, uh, you know, so we're trying to keep our pack to answer all of them, but uh, we're answering those particular type of questions uh, by a blanket statement that like, yeah, we will get to it. Like if, you know, uh, you asked something like, are you going to do an episode about X, Y, Z? You might hear us actually address it directly, but if you don't, then just assume the answer is yes. Uh, yes, because yeah. we will tell you if we're not going to do an episode on something. Yeah, exactly. I think uh, any, yeah, any kind of refusal. Ask, like, are you going to do know? an episode about the Snyder Cut? Like, no, we're not. Are you going to do an episode <laughs> about, I don't know, like uh, the new, like, uh, are you going to do an episode about Cruella? Like, no, we're not. I don't know. Unless there's something really sus about Cruella that I'm not appreciating. We're going to get like a bunch of people being like, you need to address Cruella. Uh, Mm -hmm. um, Exactly. Exactly. But anyway, so, you know, let's dive into these questions, shall we? Yes. Okay. I will read the first one, which I've labeled zero because we almost missed it, but we didn't. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, okay. This is from RT and they write, after the Candy Jones episode, I thought something you guys might want to do an episode on is the Chinese triads. They're not like a normal gang, more like a bunch of secret societies with rotary club fronts. They have history going back to the Boxer Rebellion, demonic channeling cults, and even British Freemasonry. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, that does sound interesting. Uh, and I'm sure that there is a lot of uh, like interesting stuff there. I mean, you know, in the same way that the mafia, you know, has occult connections and, and things like that, you know, like Opus Dei and, and stuff, I, I would imagine the same is true of sort of criminal or organized criminal groups and other contexts. You know, of course, the Chinese yeah. triads do span uh, the actual China and, you know, uh, anywhere where there's Chinese immigrants. So, uh, exactly. yeah, I mean, that would be interesting to explore. I don't really know anything about that subject, but... I would be interested to learn more about it uh, or to have someone on who was knowledgeable about it. There's a follow-up question from Sandoz Delicid who asked, I uh, would love to know about possible Bruce Lee triad connection. I guess that's more mm-hmm. of a statement, but uh, you know, it's a interrogative I would love to, in a way. Yeah. Um, I would love to know more about it too. Yeah, well, there, his son also died like sort of mysteriously in a very macabre way while uh-huh, starring in a, like a very unusual film, The Crow. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, right. He was like shot with a gun that was full of blanks. He shot himself in the chest or something with a gun full of blanks. That's, I think so, yeah. yeah. And it, yeah. Either, it either was accidentally filled with a real bullet or like the blast compression killed him because he pushed it right up to him. Either way, yeah, it must very be the spooky. latter. Like, why could it be accidentally filled with a real bullet? I mean, that would be really spooky if somehow, like on a movie set, this gun was just totally loaded with a real bullet. It must be that if you shoot yourself at point blank in the chest with a blank, then you'll still, I don't know. But I, uh, I believe that's true because it still has gunpowder in it it just doesn't have a projectile but the pressure yeah. of like the flash out of the muzzle basically yeah that's why I you're mean, like clearly eh, there's some you shouldn't like, do that error going but on in the handling of this weapon but yeah and bruce lee also died very young like suddenly of like a headache you know he just got a headache and then the next thing you know he was dead it's pretty mysterious yeah uh, very strange well. and yeah and he was you know around i believe uh you know he i, I think you know, he was friends with Sharon Tate and I think even taught her like Kung Fu and stuff like that. Like hmm. he, you know, he even had, I mean, he has a cameo in Tarantino's movie. Right. Yeah. Where he gets, on a time in Hollywood. he gets beaten up yeah, by uh, Brad Pitt. Right. Cause, uh, yep. cause you know, he's, he's, he's Asian, you know, as like a, you know, Hong Kong action star who, uh, 
you know, was beloved by everyone, a Hong Kong martial arts action star. He was, you know, the vanguard of the woke SJW uh, movement that is now sweeping Hollywood and taking Quentin Tarantino's voice away or whatever and, uh, you know, making Once Upon a Time in Hollywood go away. Uh, the good old I never days. I never thought yeah. about that as like this is like a subliminal scene where like the old school American action star beats up like China coming. You in never thought to take about that. Hollywood. I, I no, never well, thought about Bruce well, Lee. Well, how did you see com- it before? Like- Bruce Lee is not from mainland China. I associate him with Hong Kong, which to, to me, yeah. like a, a, you know, a, a like a den of colonial simps. No offense. But, you know, well, yeah, I mean, I mean like, that's kind uh, of why it's so ridiculous. Like the, you know, this like presentation of Bruce Lee. As, but I think that that was kind of the connotation. At least that's certainly how I read it, because otherwise it's mm. like an absurd scene. I mean, Bruce Lee, uh, you know, I'm sure he wasn't like uh, the best person. You know, I'm sure there's many things that you could say about him. But I think that he was a pretty competent martial artist. Uh, and I think that he probably could like beat someone up who was just doing, like, you know, uh, like, rough-and-tumble American brawling or whatever, you know? Yeah, probably. Uh, I, I just find it odd because, like I said, later, and I, I think, like, McGowan gets into it in weird scenes that, you know, basically Bruce Lee was hanging out with all these people, so for him to have a cameo in that movie but to be so otherized and almost be, like, this punchline of, like, I am Asian fighter, like, like it yeah. really was like that. Like, it was, like, really cringe and bizarre. Yeah, and kind exactly. Of, like, just stupid. I mean, I you know, not to, we're, we're not going to, you know, we're not here to cancel Tarantino for every you know weird little non PC thing that he does, but it was so dumb that I kind of can't forgive that. You know what well, I mean? Well, I think that it's okay. Like, you know, it's not like we're attacking him for being un PC. Like, the whole movie was like seeping with this uh, stupid complex about that. I feel, you know, I feel like so. I feel like he kind of brought it up. Like, it's not like we're like mm. picking through the movie trying to find you know where he was racist or whatever. He was triggered in advance and like that was in the movie already like it was you know I just didn't uh, think about it in terms of like the modern day struggle going on in Hollywood of China kind of moving in and that is something that people gripe about that basically yeah that's an interesting uh, wrinkle to it Uh, yeah I mean it is something that people gripe about I mean again like they that's something that that's a complaint that I don't you know find to to really be because it's not like there's so much substance or whatever in uh, you know, it's not like things were like, you know, once upon a time in a wonderful, beautiful, uh, artistic, fertile landscape. And then like these evil bug men, cockroach, Chinese, sorry, you know, I'm yeah. being ironic, obviously came in to uh, like destroy this, you know, individualistic American, beautiful, artistic landscape. But, uh, you know, I it feels like there's a there's a frustrated, like confused metaphor that is maybe trying to be kind of hinted at or expressed in kind of. Yeah. Like via the Bruce Lee thing. But instead of showing him being like hanging out, I guess he, he did have maybe a brief shot of Sharon Tate, like doing cr- like Kung Fu with uh, Bruce Lee, like in her garden or something. But it was just like we're only really going to use him in like this wacky fight scene anyways. Yeah. Somewhat I mean, once again, but we I bet, spiraled I bet off into talking shit about this movie. But I mean, it really sucks. And I think that. Quentin Tarantino kind of sucks. I'm just saying, you know, uh, and mm. he has like the these like baggages and these like weird complexes like around like, you know, needing uh, or like, finding it so like cathartic and, and cool for 
Brad Pitt to like beat up Bruce Lee and then sigh up everyone about the Manson murders. Uh, <laughs> I, you know, I just feel like, but I think we just don't really know too much about Chinese tribes, but that would be a cool episode. It does sound super interesting. Uh, I think it's important. I think, you know, even going back to when we kind of circle around, I felt a little bad not emphasizing enough when we were doing our history of the great American fortunes episode, like the centrality of uh, John Jacob Astor's role in the opium trade to China, mm-hmm. among yeah. many, many other things. But, you know, and then, you know, systematically drugging, uh, basically, I know this is this is alcophobic, but, you know, drugging the Native Americans and swindling out of their furs. It's kind of like, you know, using drugs as a weapon to attack a population that you want to exploit and get one over on. Uh, kind of, yeah. you know, you look at with rum, then you look with opium in China, you look at crack yeah. cocaine and heroin in the 1970s. Are you mm-hmm. starting to notice a pattern? Yeah, here? It's a so tri- I think we'll get back strategy. to that. And in fact, it's so funny because like the whole, you know, the whole narcophobic thing that you mentioned, I think that it even was like, you know, the the guy, the Columbia professor who we are sort of referring to when we uh, make that reference to narcophobia, he did sort of say something where he was like doubting the reality of like the opium problem in the 19th century and like the, you know, the predation of the colonial opium peddlers uh, wow. on, the, on the Chinese. I think he was like, you, you know, yeah, kind of gaslighting people about that, you know, as being as being a thing. And I, I don't doubt that British Freemasonry also had its tentacles in uh, Chinese triads because of the well-documented sort of fascination of those groups with sort of Oriental wisdom, you know, just like mm-hmm. some of the things totally. that like were mentioned in this question saying, you know, demonic channeling cults, I feel like, you know, and that, that stuff like kind of uh, is... Uh, definitely, you know, has a, has a presence in uh, Chinese culture generally, like uh, different occult practices. Like, I mean, the I Ching, for instance, is uh, something oh, yeah. that has been uh, like a huge fascination for like Western occultists and things like that. So, you know, and we've talked so much about how an attempt to revive wisdom in the West has often looked eastward. So, I mean, yeah, and of course, there is a, a colonial history there in Hong Kong and you know, we talked about Bruce Lee and, and, and things like that. And, and the Boxer Rebellion, I think that, you know, that would definitely be something very interesting to explore. Um, I'm sure yeah, there's lots yeah. of the good books about it, but I would have to research it because I don't like know anything. I haven't done that research as of now. And uh, I mean, this is an invitation. Anyone who like, you know, is super an expert on the subject, uh, you know, reach out. Reach to us out. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, uh, yeah. You want know, to you want to mm-hmm. come on tell us what it is, you know, because I, I think the the deeper we go back, we're realizing that, you know, some of these like networks, these, these like Freemasonic type networks that are entwined, intertwined with business and empire and all these things, they really do go back a ways. And I think there is like a significant Chinese connection. And I think the triads are central to that. And I think they continue to be central in Hong Kong to this day. I'd yeah, love to I know mean, kind of China what has, what is the real relationship between the Chinese government and the, and the you know, the, the Chinese Communist Party with the triads. That's I mean, you a know, really speaking fascinating Speaking of question. like these organized crime connections, it would be interesting to do like, you know, these very deep uh, history organized crime connections. It would be interesting to do an episode like Sus Marco Polo, you know, because that's kind Ooh-hoo. of like the archetypal figure of like uh, Western fascination and commercial exploration into China, you know, and yeah. someone who came back with all these fantastical stories and, and things and, you know, became kind of like an epitome of that. And of course, you know, he was sort of from the Mediterranean world and or he, you know, was was representing the, the Mediterranean world uh, being kind of, a, you know, 
what was yeah what was his exact background a was merchant. He, I think I think he was Italian uh yeah he was right? Italian yeah or I don't mm-hmm. yeah I don't know who sponsored his oh he was Venetian he was a Venetian merchant that's even more yeah. uh sus yeah but anyway I mean, these sea uh, merchants you gotta keep a close eye on them basically mm-hmm, yes uh yeah. but that yeah that would be uh an interesting thing uh to explore in that context I think and yeah I think that there is, uh, because the free, Freemasons, for instance, you know, they imagine themselves in those terms. They imagine themselves as like a perennial globe-spanning occult tradition that has these links, you know, so. Uh, yeah, I remember, uh, not not to upset anybody, because it is bullshit, but uh, in Fritz Springmeier's, you know, Illuminati Bloodlines book back in the day, he always kind of made a tantalizing reference to, like, there are these, you know, elite bloodline families, blah, blah, blah. You know, there's the Rothschilds, there's the, the Windsors, there's, you know, uh, the, I don't know, the Bushes, probably not the Bushes, you know. But mm-hmm. uh, he also mentioned, like, the Lee family in China, like, L.I. was, like, the ultimate, like, old bloodline triad ruling family, blah, blah, blah. I don't know if that's, like, literally just talking out of his ass and doing disinfo. But, you know, I think that it's it's very under-examined, I think, the kind of the the Chinese older secret societies and organized crime networks and stuff we don't hear about it all that much and even though they definitely have a footprint like in the United States and like you said anywhere there's kind of a significant Chinese population they tend mm-hmm. to be around and they they seem to be quite like vast and professional at what they do in the sense that it's not like like I don't know nobody at least yet has done a big like FBI or like untouchables like we're taking down the Chinese triads they're always just kind of lurking there below the surface chilling doing their business and uh, I'd like to yeah read a lot more about that and yeah. you know the Western connections with those triads. Yeah, there's the like the whole legend of Prester John that was so popular in the the Middle Ages, uh, and I think might have even influenced things well or influenced the imagination of the Orient well into Marco Polo's day, which is basically the idea of there being this like you know Christian king out there somewhere like far to the east who was gonna mm-hmm. have, you know arise and help. Uh, you know, uh, he was like a descendant of the three wise men, one of the three wise men, you know, oh. and uh, he lived like in a fantastical kingdom and he was going to arise from the far east was the idea. And he was going to help, you know, you, you basically flank the evil Muslims, you know, from both uh-huh. sides with the other Christians, you know. And so that was like ma- people thought maybe that's the Mongols. Maybe he lives in India, et cetera, et cetera. Xanadu. But you could see you could see how something like that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But you could see how something like that would be something that would appeal to these occult societies in, in the West with, uh, you know, their grail myths and things like that. So, uh, mm-hmm. yeah. 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 So yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll come back to that one day. Yeah. Um, okay, yeah. Do you, uh, do you want to, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Do you want to read the next question? Sure. Uh, okay. So not Fox Mulder asks, Apologies if this has been covered previously, but what's y'all's opinion on Billy Milligan? Multiple personality rapist and killer whose different personalities had different abilities. Kind of was the inspiration for Split, the M. Night Shyamalan movie, I guess. Anyway, but uh, Mm -hmm. is there any evidence he was MK'd? I know numerous people talk about MKUltra causing MPD in order to utilize the different abilities. Hmm. Yeah, well, definitely people do talk about that as something that happens with MKUltra. I think Billy Milligan was in the Navy for a little bit, and he also was definitely passed around through different hospitals, you know, and uh, he had a lot of lawsuits, I think, about how he was ill-served by those hospitals, and that was the whole thing with his case about... um, I actually found uh, an interesting statement by Billy Milligan. I mean, this is by 
you know, someone who is like a, you know, a murderer and uh, who obviously is like mentally unwell. So take that into account. But he did say some interesting things. You know, he, I guess, had a telephone interview in 1996 and he said, I just did a thing for the Japanese and I read something and I can't remember, but I probably ordered one of my guides to put it on the net. We have a supercomputer. We flag important things such as MPD, DID. We flag government agencies, and that's how I found your book list. Yeah, I guess. Uh, okay. Yes, it's, it's interesting because this uh, thing that I found is actually referring to a screenplay being written for a film called The Crowded Room, which apparently oh. is still like coming out soon. You know, this is back in 1997 that they were like talking about this, but I've heard that it might actually be released like you know now like uh today so anyway billy uh, milligan writes uh you know that's how i find your book list nippon television considered me one of the most informed experts because i've lived with mp for 40 years also the doctor who did the biofeedback tests that's awesome in and of itself okay. dr tuman she's in los angeles somewhere she and her husband developed a machine that is the most amazing mind reader you've ever seen basically i've been approached but I don't do talk shows. I've been asked to be on Donahue and everything else. My books are Minds of Billy Milligan and the Milligan Wars. I mean, he didn't really write those books, but, uh, you know, they're about him. This was published in Japan. Both sold 30 million copies each. This was 20 years ago for me. This is, I see this crap come on TV all the time. These doctors are making it happen or creating these people. I'm not saying I was anything special, but there's millions less people than we are told. There's probably two or 300 in the whole U.S., I see these people switch back and forth on TV like there's nothing to it, and that just is impossible. Why would anyone want to go on TV and lose control? I've read all these books and doctors saying they're treating hundreds of MP cases and they're making them, uh, in all caps, making them, because they don't have anything else to do with their time. And you know psychiatrists have the highest suicide rate among professionals. Imagine yourself standing in front of a sink, you're getting a glass of water, and the whole world around you instantly changes, and now you're in a park acting like you're getting a glass of water, out of thin air, and you just lost that time. That's what it's really like. And basically to me, I'm sick and tired of the phonies, the freak shows and the phonies, because that uh -oh. what they're doing is not only damaging the people that they're making role play these games, they're damaging the people who are desperate for help. That is what I will go on. That's what I told the Japanese. 30 million people watch Sunday plus 30 and I've been getting an enormous response. I haven't published the Milligan Wars in the US because I'm being sued over the information that is in it. The state of Ohio Department of Mental Health makes too much money over MP. I've caught them, graft everything. They're taking DID patients and give them shock treatment and everything and get paid for that. When I downloaded the Ohio State Department of Mental Health computers and checked their personnel and hospital records and forensic center records, I'd find things like they charged $11.80 for a hard boiled egg and a cup of milk. In my book, 90% of all psychiatrists are phonies. They're just snake oil salesmen. They just bill Medicare and Medicaid enormous amount of money and then talk you into coming in and crying on their soldier, so, shoulder. And then they drug you up. I'm trying to make a film based on the Milligan Wars. Minds of Billy Milligan explained what it was. The Milligan Wars is the fighting of these doctors over the situation. They'll keep you as long as they can. They convince your children that they have it. To the psychiatric community, MPD slash DID is a marketable commodity. They've actually opened hospitals entirely devoted to it. They keep their game going until their insurance runs out. There's one called Del Almo up here in Los Angeles and it's one of the worst. I was in Del Alma myself for about a day and a half until the federal marshals came and dragged me out. My thing is educating people. I just did this thing for Nippon TV that if you want to, you can contact 3.1 Productions in Hollywood and Warner Brothers. Ask them what's going on with the Milligan story because they've tried to quash this because the doctors and hospitals don't want this shit out in the open because it'll ruin a lot of their freak shows. They didn't put in the DSM-3 until I came along 20 years ago. 
Now I'm being sued for trying to stop them. Everybody's suing everyone trying to stop it because they don't want anyone stopping their freak show. I've trained actors to play this role. Johnny Depp, Christian Slater, John Cusack, and Leonardo DiCaprio to enact MP as it really is, not as it is popularly seen. The people that go on those shows are merely conditioned actors. It's like Chris Sizemore. It's what she is now, is a trained actor. It's really depressing. I own a production company now called Stormy Life Productions. We're going to make a short film. We're more than willing to work with groups who want to put something up on the air. We're ready to go on television with facts and figures. I actually talked to a young lady who recanted her statement. The social workers actually talked her into saying her father molested her. They took her out of her home. She went to school and talked another girl into saying the same thing because they'll buy you jeans and sneakers and all kinds of stuff. And in six months, she's really missing her family. Her father was in jail and everything, and then she came forward. This is what our psychiatric social workers and psychiatric community will actually do. They are dangerous to the mental health and well-being of our entire society. Basically, I hope that people who are humane and caring people will help us join this resistance. I want a movement started. I want the freak show stopped. It's doing more harm than it is good. Uh, Billy Milligan, 21st October, 1996. So, wow. uh, yeah, that's what he had to say. Oof. Um, yeah, this is fascinating. I want to do a whole deep dive into this guy because I feel like it's, it's another person... A, a little bit like Paul Benassi, but it's like another example of somebody who's v- very adamantly basically saying that even though, you know, they did commit some very terrible crimes, mm-hmm. that they're basically explaining the kind of thing that was done to them. Um, yeah, I guess, you know, I don't know. Yeah, he... Yeah, it's a little bit different from Paul Benassi because I think Paul Benassi, like, very explicit will be like, this is MK Ultra. But, you know, or that I was, like, programmed. But uh, Billy Milligan does seem to say that the psychiatrists, you know, not only did they not want to help him and that they've, you know, made his condition worse and tried to profit from him and exploited him, but he also says that, like, the epidemic of MPD and DID is something that is not uh, authentic. Or is somehow caused. Yeah, exactly, organic. And it... Yeah, exactly. Like uh, that these doctors are in some way causing it. He doesn't necessarily say they're causing it so they can be like MK sleeper agents or couriers or whatever. But uh, he does suggest that I think his thing is they're doing it for money, you know, which uh, basically is uh, not to say that having MK couriers and sleeper agents wouldn't also be for money. But, you know. I think you can read uh, yeah. between the lines that yeah. there's all kinds of reasons why they would find this useful. I mean, just reading uh, from an article here, just like a few examples of his 24 personalities, you know, tell me if this sounds useful to you. Inside Billy Milligan's minds, there were Arthur with the ability to read and write Arabic, Ragan, yeah. Vadaskovanich, uh, the Yugoslavian. Uh, who I think he robbed banks as the Yugoslav guy. Uh, mm. Alan, the only right-handed He was also a communist. The Yugoslavian was a communist, and he robbed yeah. banks like to steal from the rich and give to the poor. That was like uh-huh. his stated motive, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then you know, Tommy, the Houdini, so you could like, escape out of shit. Adelana, who was a lesbian. Danny, David, and Christine, who were all young children. And 14 other personalities with different skills, looks, sex, sexual orientations, and origins. And, yeah, I mean... That well, sounds one, like a whole grab bag of things that could be used. One useful. other crazy thing about him is that, uh, you know, when he was brought in for treatment at, I guess, the Athens Mental Health Center, um, yeah. they their first step, you know, or the thing that they wanted to achieve was like, okay, we need to fuse these personalities and reconcile them into one. But then they found that there actually was like one sort of gestalt or fused uh, controlling personality called the teacher, which would like help them all 
to cultivate their abilities and use them like in concert. Yikes. Yeah. Yikes. Uh, yeah. Uh, I, I just, you know, uh, yeah, I'm looking at this article, like Insamer. It's like a Turkish uh, website for some reason. There's an article from 2017 called Billy Milligan and the Future of the Children of Wars. And I mean, I don't know, like, I don't want to imply here that, you know, children who flee conflict areas uh, are all going to turn into like uh, psychopathic DID killers. But it did kind of jump out at me because they say that, you know, basically, you know, this article talks about how like suffering sexual, physical and psychological trauma in early childhood, which Billy Milligan said that he did. I guess he had developed this by age four or five. Well, yeah, he's had a stepfather did really McMartney type stuff to him, like repeatedly sodomizing him and burying him alive and hanging him by his toes and fingers. Uh, he was never charged because uh, he denied it. Yeah. Jesus. Uh, yeah. That's the kind of thing that, that would create the DID. But the this article says, you know, many DID sufferers are reported to have severe psychological, physical and sexual abuse, especially in their childhoods. Earlier, they may have suffered from post-traumatic stress disorder like nightmares, flashbacks and amnesia and startle responses. UNICEF uh, wrote that. Quote, after the genocide in Rwanda in 1994, Dr. Albert Nambaje, a clinical psychologist at the National Trauma Recovery Center, reported, among the symptoms manifested by children are nightmares. The UN Commission on Human Rights Special Rapporteur on former Yugoslavia similarly reports on interviews with children, quote, memories of the event remain with them, causing extreme nightmares, daily intrusive flashbacks of the traumatic events, fear, insecurity, and bitterness from UNICEF's Children in War, 1996. I've always thought about... A lot of like the particularly in uh, stuff I've read about, like the civil wars in West Africa in the 1990s and the almost systematic use of child soldiers that were often both plied with drugs and also forced to do really sometimes like fucked up, almost like ritualistic brutalities to basically mm-hmm. either, you know, not be killed themselves or to like join a unit. You know, oftentimes they'd like give an eight year old a gun and be like, kill your own family. Or something like that and then they yeah. would like take you and they would give them like heroin and cocaine before they would they would give them cocaine mixed with gunpowder in sierra leone and they would snort it and go into battle and people talked about how children actually as as, as long as they're big enough to carry it like a like a machine gun they're the best soldiers because they're like too young their brains aren't fully developed and so they're just absolutely brutal and fearless because they're like kids playing a game, you know? And if you can kind of almost like you manipulate them through kind of uh, trauma and like abuse and things like that and get them to be like excited about going out and kill. Like, so I, I've heard, you know, people have said before in places like Liberia and Sierra Leone, probably in the Congo and uh, places around there, that this explosion of child soldiers, which I feel like started in the in the only in like the maybe mid to late 80s it became like this really big phenomenon in the 90s like child so you know you know i think i'd have to really double check but i don't recall seeing a lot of stories about of really anywhere around the world of people specifically using like like getting child soldiers hyped up to go kill because of the ultimate killers that was like a 90s thing that almost feels like i just have this weird dracularity kind of feeling that maybe something was being workshopped in the third world in these uh, mm-hmm. civil wars yeah, in the maybe. 1990s really sure. you know yeah mm-hmm. and then and then you have a whole you just cause something like say like the Syrian conflict which displaces like millions of people kills hundreds of thousands of people end up dying and you know you have like these militias these like al-qaeda militias and isis running around and stuff and is the you know from the people that you know i think we think from a normal um, moral normative standpoint you would want to 
you, you might hesitate to uh, follow a course of action, say, in foreign policy that might deliberately traumatize and, like, displace and torture a bunch, like, th- tens of thousands of, like, small children by basically unleashing hell upon their country. But, uh, I don't know, some of these sickos that are doing this thing, maybe there's, like, a, maybe there's, they're looking at it from another angle where there's something beneficial to doing that. Mass, yeah. like mass trauma of, you know, on a, on a societal level, like they kind of think, ooh, only that just means more more recruits for us down the road, you know, or something like that. I don't know. But it, it's very creepy, very dark. And yeah, Billy Milligan sounds like, sounds like a good topic for yeah, us to dive into one of these days. Something that like stuck out to me about him was that he, you know, after like the abuse that we mentioned, you know, he had developed these sort of multiple personalities as DID and, you know, he was a huge problem child, like, everywhere that he went. You know, he was suspended from junior high school because he went into trances. And then he was committed to a state mental hospital where hysterical neurosis was diagnosed. And then the hospital kicked him out because his behavior was too disruptive. And then he was expelled from his high school. And then he joined the Navy. And the oh, Navy discharged God. him a month later because he couldn't adapt to Navy life. So it's just like, you know, in, 19, in 1972, I mean, I get that. You know, maybe they were uh, taking who they could get, but they were still like turning around people who were flat footed, you know, who were gay or whatever. Like someone who had like a diagnosis of hysterical neurosis who would go into like trances, who was expelled from junior and high school. Like you'd think Mm -hmm. it's weird that he had a stint in the Navy in that context. You know, but well, anyway, yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, the Navy. I think the the Navy uh, kind of stands. Uh, the, all yeah. the branches, the armed forces, are sus. But that was it was a Navy surge, a Navy doctor, I believe, who had that article. Article. Um, I think it was in the Sunday Times in Britain in the mid seventies. Forgetting his name right now. I know I've mentioned him before. Where he kind of spoke casually outside of a conference to a bunch of reporters about how they basically had like a program to kill program inside of the Navy where they would like scream guys by kind of playing them like a parallax view kind of um uh, clockwork orange kind of video of like you know animals being slaughtered or like war crimes being committed and they would try to like s- filter out like who has like latent so- sociopathy and then mm-hmm. try to I guess like program them in some way like hypnotize them or you know or just train them for like ultra secret missions and I think he even said yeah they get hypnotized so that they don't remember their missions after they do them and then yeah. he, then the, the Navy like came out and issued like an immediate kind of re- retraction of that, and was like, uh, the you know commander so and so like doesn't know what he's talking about, like this is uh, no truth to that at all. So that was like maybe 1975 or 76. So you know the Navy was kind of up to some things, and well, yeah, you know, that was they, how he experienced the ID was that he like had missing time. So. Hmm. But, uh, Screen memories, uh, mm. or just mis- completely missing time. You know, he wouldn't remember. Yeah, well, anything, that is a feature of DID. Is like you kind of amnesia yeah. when you switch out. Yeah. Right. So, mm-hmm. but uh, uh, something- yeah, I mean, I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it does seem like. I mean, he was like a huge flashpoint for DID and for MPD. Like he said, you know, it uh, was put into the DSM three after him. He was even saying that they didn't want to include it, that they didn't want it to be. Uh, yeah, it's interesting. It's interesting. Yeah. Mm. Uh, interesting that M. Night Shyamalan, I didn't realize that that movie, I, I don't, don't think I saw it, but I didn't realize that movie was based on Billy Milligan. I didn't. Yeah, I didn't realize that either. And uh, yeah, um, I thought that that was just like, you know, um, 
Just as a total parenthetical, I happened to watch The Happening last week, um, <laughs> which is like so bad. But I will say kind of something that I totally forgot at the time that jumps out more today is that I don't know if you remember this. I think we might have seen The Happening together in theaters when Maybe. it came out. Did like we, we went to hate, hate watch it. I think, we, I think we saw it. I, I think we saw maybe, it in theaters. Maybe, um, maybe we did but, see it in but theaters. But anyways, I don't know. The, the thing that's being that gets mentioned throughout it, of course, you know, spoiler alert, it is the trees that allegedly are releasing a toxin to kill us because right, of climate yes. change mm-hmm, and making yeah, us kill ourselves. But that, yeah. like it mm-hmm. closes with a kind of cryptic news report where a lot of people are claiming that because it was like localized in the Northeast, that it was actually... Uh, it was actually done by the it was a bioweapon created by the US government that like either got out of the lab or they released it on purpose as like a test case to see if they could like release it in other places as like a weapon and that maybe the mm. CIA created it and the movie ends <laughs> like i was like wow. whoa wait what yeah so it actually like it doesn't it leaves this like door open that it might have been like a CIA bioweapon that like the ultimate bioweapon that can just psy out people into committing suicide and they used like the environmental thing as a smoke screen uh, I mean, it kind mm. of makes the movie slightly more interesting in 2021. I'll put it that way. Mm-hmm. But yeah. yeah, so I don't know I, what the deal with M. Night is. You know, M. Night also, Believer in the Devil. If, if you've seen the movie Devil, you know well, that. Well, the movie you know? Devil. Is, is, it's is, great. Is he a Believer in the Devil? I remember. Yeah, Devil, a great movie. Um, Think about it. He's yes, got a movie about uh, Puritans. He's got a movie about weird Puritans, like, worshipping a cult. He's got a movie about UFOs Yeah, and The Village circles. is kind of a weird movie. That's kind of like a Matrix-type thing where people, like, are living in this village and don't realize. Yeah, and there's, like, a demon, but it turns out to be, like, an android or something. It's a blue it's beam. Kind of like, it's kind of a blue beam a little yeah, it's bit. Kind of, yeah, or, like, that Goosebumps book, Horror at Camp Nightmare or whatever. Uh, <laughs> like, you know, where there's, like, Word. a demon in the woods, but it turns out to be a robot, and they're all, like, on a different planet in the end or something. But... Anyway, yeah, I mean, there, yeah. <laughs> there actually was something, like, that was genuinely sus about M. Night that I remember reading, like, or, or hearing about, but uh, now I can't remember what it was. It was something that was, like, unique, like genuinely actually interesting, like some weird intelligence connection or something. Uh, oh, maybe we can okay, do okay. a M. Night Spooky episode M. Night. at some point. Yeah, sus M. Night Shyamalan, you know, we can go I'm back and watch. It. You know what we did see in theaters? Celeste Airbender. <laughs> Yeah, we did. <laughs> Earthbenders. Yeah. There's earth all fighting? around you. Why won't you fight? Yeah, exactly. There are rocks all around you. Yeah. yeah. Uh, tell me a story, boy, about the boy who was going to be king. Yeah. So much yeah. great writing in that. So great much great writing in that movie. Yeah, it was just amazing, amazing writing. Like, I still remember it. It was memorable. Rendered. Yeah, it was memorable. It was memorable. I'll never forget Earthbenders. Yeah. is earth all around you. Why won't you fight? Uh, yeah, they were they were dumb. Those earthbenders were dumb. Uh, yeah, but then yeah. their earth powers like were not. They didn't seem very significant. Like they didn't seem that like that like when they actually activated them, it seemed like it took a lot of effort to move like a very trivial amount of earth. Uh, like you could anyway, do it. You, you know, could pick up yeah. a rock and throw it faster than they could earthbend it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That was my impression. Like if you had a catapult or a trebuchet, it would be more effective than earthbending and require less yes. labor. But we so, di- yeah. uh, we digress. Um, so yeah, we'll move on to the. Let's see. Let's move on to the next one. Yes. Um, yeah. But yes, um, Billy Milligan. We will. We will come back to Billy Milligan. That's a. That's a promise. All right. Yeah, I was going to say um, one okay. other thing just to, you know, uh, put a pin in this, uh, you know, one other thing that came to mind when you're talking about child soldiers of the Children's Crusade, which is like, mm. yeah, I'm thinking, well, what are some other historical instances of like child soldiers being used? And 
I feel like that is a sus thing to explore later as well. Like, uh, what is going on with the Children's Crusade? Uh, Because there's a lot of sort of susness and murkiness around it. You know, what's myth? What's real? You know, so I feel like Mm -hmm. that'd be... Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Anyway, we'll move on to two. Okay. Okay. Two. Okay. So from uh, D. Magnum asks, what's up with Ariana Huffington and her Manchurian candidate husband? It's an interesting way to describe him. Um, Yeah, well, well, you know... We probably won't get to it, but, you know, in the next Q&A, maybe one of our first questions will be about Werner Erhard, who we talked a little bit about in our episode uh, with Jimmy about uh, Jack Sarfati, etc. and Epstein. Uh, mm-hmm. And she was like an Erhard Seminars devotee for a while, Ariana Huffington. Mm. Yeah, Ar- Ariana is, is very sus. She almost deserves, yeah, I guess her own... <clears throat> sus uh, kind of thing. I think the very first thing that jumps to my mind when I think about Michael Huffington is that he was a very big investor. I think we mentioned it in our second Alwara episode. He was a big investor in the digital entertainment network that was run <laughs> by Mark Collins Rector and Brock Pierce that in the late sense, 90s. That makes sense, because he's like yep. the gay Republican, right? Like, you know, yes, not I don't know if he's openly... No, he's openly I don't know gay. If, Okay, okay. But uh, so yeah, Ariana publicly was... disclosed that he is bisexual in 1998, according to Wikipedia. So I assume that that's interesting. Not a complete lie. According to a 2004 Los Angeles Times interview, Huffington is celibate. Wow, that's really something. Wow, the ultimate huh. false this, uh, uh, this is sus. Uh, Huffington ultimately joined the Greek Orthodox Church in 1996 after a visit to Istanbul, Turkey. Uh, wow, hmm. that's that's pretty sus to go to Turkey and then, like, come back Greek Orthodox. Like, that's a little bit, like, crusader mindset. But anyway, uh... Hmm. Yeah, there, there's a lot with, um, you know, he was he, he actually comes from Texas. So this guy's got a kind of interesting trajectory. It's weird that he's convertidox, um, a gay convertidox man. Yes, like, and of course Ariana, Ariana Ne Stasinopoulou uh, was Greek, and so, you know, I'm sure that's how he Byzantine, got kind of turned on to it. Bi- yeah, Byzantine, uh, Constantinople, Deus Volt. Uh, yes, but actually, you know, I, I would be curious to see if he pops up on any of Mark Lombardi's, Mark Lombardi's interlock charts, because Michael Huffington was born in Dallas, Texas. It was the son of Roy Michael Huffington, the founder of the natural gas exploration company, Roy M. Covington Inc., or also known as Huffco. Um, he went to Culver Military Academy in Culver, Indiana. So, okay, uh, some sus uh, vibes potentially there. You know, abusive military academies. Uh, then he, he in 1970, he got a BS degree in engineering and a BA in economics concurrently from Stanford University. He was a member of the varsity crew, student senator, and co-president of a senior class. Then he got an MBA in finance uh, from Harvard University. And I guess he, most of his wealth is from a merchant bank he started uh, and also his share of the family's Houston oil, gas, and real estate firm that was sold to Taiwan Interests in 1990. And his father, Roy M. Huffington made a fortune through natural gas interest in Indonesia starting in 1966, the year after the U.S.-backed coup, where I think somewhere between half a million and a million communists were systematically basically genocided um, with enthusiastic U.S. support. So that's where he made, uh, you know, that opened up some good markets for Michael Huffington's dad. But but wait a minute. Where did his interest in politics begin, call it? Uh, I guess it began in 1968 when he was a summer intern in Washington, D.C. for freshman congressman George H.W. Bush. 
Wow. <laughs> cool. Okay. And then uh, in 1986, Reagan appointed Huffington as Deputy Assistant Secretary of Defense for Negotiations Policy with responsibility for conventional arms control negotiations and was awarded the Secretary of Defense Medal for Outstanding Public Service. In 92, he was elected to the House of Representatives from California's 22nd District, which covers where else? Santa Barbara County. And I guess he spent like a record amount of money, $5 million on his own campaign. And and I guess just beat out everybody else and uh, donated his entire congressional salary to the Partnership for Children of Santa Barbara County in 1993 and the Partnership for Children of San Luis Obispo County in 1994. And that was right before he decided, you know what, there's another Partnership for Children organization that I'd really like to donate to. It's called DEN, and it's run by this great yeah. guy, Mark Collins Rector. <laughs> like, what the fuck? Like, um, oh, see, it's yeah. another. You, you notice this. I remember going all the way back to Pizzagate, and it's like you would you would notice these sus things of people that you know have a sus vibe or associations with them being very into like children's charities and things like that. And you know maybe it's just out of a good place, but uh, you know when you're hanging out with, Mo I think I remember there's a specific anecdote of Michael Huffington being invited to the MNC estate for like a lavish dinner party, and whatever went down there. The next day, he went and, like, wrote a check for, like, $5 million and gave it to them. So, like, he apparently he was so impressed and just loved these guys and loved their vision and maybe loved the hot tub, you know, portion afterwards that everybody else talked about. Right. Yeah. So, you know, it'd be a great opportunity to, all you know, uh, I don't know, either both indulge somebody and also maybe blackmail them in a compromising situation. So you really kind of have to give them $5 million the next day. And, uh, yeah, I, I think he's just been... I don't know, around, okay, I'm triggered by this. In 98, Huffington, Huffington was co-chairman with Rob Reiner of Proposition 10 in California, which increased the state excise tax on cigarettes by 50 cents per pack. Fuck you. And, okay, the resulting multi-hundred million dollars of tax revenue were used for prenatal care and for the health care and education of children under six years of age. Okay, so he's very into, before they're six, uh, education. And, you know, he was the head of the log cabin Republicans, or he was very involved with the log cabin Republicans, you know, that sort of gay re Republican lobby and, you know, supported same-sex marriage. And, yeah, he gave a lot of money to different, you know, USC. He was raised Presbyterian, became Episcopalian at 38, and then joined the Greek Orthodox Church in 96 after going to Istanbul. And yeah, it gave $2.5 million to establish the Huffington Ecumenical Institute at Loyola Marymount University in Los Angeles, that's a Catholic college, to promote dialogue between the Roman Catholic and Eastern Orthodox churches. Huh. Okay. Uh, that's an interesting. For somebody who was born neither. Um, yeah, it's weird you know, that he's Catholic converted Orthodox. And yeah, exactly. He also, this is one uh, to possibly set our, uh, any uh, trad Muslim listeners that we might have on Oh, edge. I saw, uh, I, I know what you're going to say. I know what you're going to say. of a film called A Jihad for Love, the world's first film on Islam and homosexuality. So I guess uh, Michael Huffington, uh, converted docs, uh, you know, uh, dude from the U.S. felt very passionately about getting that that subject out there. Uh, you know, for those of you who, but I mean, of course, like it's uh, it's fine. You know, we're not trying to. This is a this is a, a quite a, quite a quote here. You know, like uh, we're not trying to promote uh, any uh, 
suspicion of, of any people uh, out there, but this is a, an interesting quote about about this this movie that is on the Wikipedia article for it. This is a from an article titled Two Tickets for Jihad, Please." I guess that's what our <laughs> Patreons are also asking for. But anyway. Um, <laughs> The client was certainly right, and there was a very ambitious filmmaker who knew a good opportunity when he saw one. Parvez Sharma was raised Muslim in India, and although he does have some feeling for his religion, he is by no means devout. However, as a resident of the U.S. post 9-11, he felt he had to do something in the battle to represent Islam. All right. He declares that his religion was hijacked by extremists who preach violence and hatred, and he is not referring to Fox TV or George Bush. He means the radical clerics who have become the face of Islam in the West. Sharma sought to prove that his religion was a peaceful and loving one, and in effect that not all Muslims are terrorists. Some are even gay. I find, like, the opposition between terrorist and gay to be, like, weird. You know, like, uh, <laughs> the most, like, yeah. peaceful you can be is, like, gay. Like, you can't be. It's odd. It's almost like saying, like, you'd think, like, some are even, like, pacifists or something, or some even abstain from, like, stepping on ants or things like that, rather than, like, the most peaceful thing you can be like the most opposite thing to a terrorist is being gay but uh yeah. anyway so yeah michael huffington felt that it, you know it seems like he's made a lot of movies like that for a lot of different religions uh you know so i'm sure that uh, any uh you know very trad uh, listeners that we have out there uh will take that as they will uh but you know yeah, i mean yeah. it makes sense that if you're gay then you would want to especially if you're like a gay republican you know you're probably coming across so it makes sense you'd want to like defend yourself uh in a way but you know yeah, uh, yeah. i'm sure there was some there... whose alarm rails are going to be bringing after looking at this like film production list here yeah uh, of um, course of course and you know just to briefly touch on her his ex-wife ariana huffington she really is just such a sus lord I don't, mm. oh my God, oh my God, call it. I just yes. saw something that freaked me out. Okay, um, we're just gonna, well, we won't get too gone on it, but okay, so, you know, who was Ariane? How, how did this Greek woman, it's already like my CA alarm bells are like going off, like a boomer Greek woman comes here, becomes a huge celebrity, like, uh, I don't know, I think about all this CIA coups and military dictatorship. Anyways, so, you know, there's nothing, I don't know. She's She has a sus background. So she was born in 1950 in Athens, the daughter of Konstantinos uh, Stasinopoulou, a journalist and management consultant, and is the sister of uh, Agape, who is like an author, speaker, and performer. She moved to the UK at Agape 16. Agape is her name? That's interesting. No, with an I, with an I, Agape. Oh, okay. Or Agape. Yeah, so she actually, she moved to the UK at 16 and studied economics at Cambridge, where she was the first foreign and third female president of the Cambridge Union. She studied abroad in India and I guess said that um, India has long held a special place in my heart from the time I went to study comparative religion at Visva Bharati University. And, you know, so she started, I guess, writing. Well, she was a Rajneeshi at one point, too, before. Oh, she yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll get to that. I'll, I'll get. And she was yeah. into Est as well. She was into Est and Oprah loves yeah. her. I'm starting to notice a pattern. But OK, so w the other interesting thing about Ariana Huffington is that, you know, she starts her kind of writing career by uh, publishing a book called The Female Woman in 1973. And it's basically a huge attack on women's lib. And I guess one of the quotes she said in that book was, women's lib claims that the achievement of total liberation would transform the lives of all women for the better. The truth is that it would transform only the lives of women with strong lesbian tendencies. 
Ooh, okay. Uh, you know what? And it's she, really weird because it almost seems like both she and Michael Huffington are like crypto like crusaders. You know, I mean, I know that uh, maybe uh, you'll all agree with her on this point, but uh, she opposed. This is something that seems almost out of step with her. Like, oh, yeah. she opposed the NATO intervention in Serbia during the Yugoslav War. Like, you know, mm-hmm. maybe uh, you also feel that way. But like, I feel like maybe the reason why she opposed it is... Uh, like, you know, I mean, Christendom. also, I don't necessarily think that it was like for, you know, that it ultimately was for the good. But I mean, I do think that like uh, Milosevic like sucks, but uh, and that like what he did was awful. But, uh, you know, I th- yeah, exactly. Like uh, it was more like there because, was a there was a Christian Orthodox. Yeah, exactly. Orthodox like, you know, faction. being on the side of like the genocidal Serbs, you know, like. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, uh, okay, well, that, so yeah, she was basically, that's one thing that even, I think, to this day, like, surprises people, is that she was a staunch Republican until, like, the early 2000s, basically, and then she just flipped on a dime and was like, I'm a liberal, and then everyone just accepted her as, like, a liberal. It was very, I guess it was a similar thing today, where some evil, disgusting neocon, like decides they're going to say something mean about Trump, like Liz Cheney, and then liberals just like trip over their dicks, like praising how amazing and brave she is. But like Huffington at least like made the real switch to like, I'm going to actually advocate quote unquote liberal shit now and was, you know, regular on The Daily Show and everything. But, you know, she wrote for the National Review throughout the 80s and wrote a Pablo Picasso biography. And, you know, that she married, I think, uh, she married Michael Huffington uh, at some point in the 80s she was kind of all over media you know i guess she had a reputation as a kind of republican spice girl an endearingly ditzy right-wing gal about town who was a guilty pleasure for people who know better that was a from a 1998 profile in the new yorker and then you know she kind of like started being more of like i'm above the two parties you know she sidestepped the traditional party divide saying the right-left divisions are so outdated now. For me, the primary division is between people or who are aware of what I call the two nations, rich and poor, and those who are not. Mm, okay. And, oh, wow, I, I forgot about this, but during 2003, she founded this thing called the Detroit Project, which is trying to get auto manufacturers to start making alternative fuel cars. But they ran this infamous series of ads in 2003, which equated driving SUVs to funding terrorism and was very controversial. You could almost say backfired. But then, you know, she she made a big, brave move and endorsed Skull and Bonesman John Forbes Carey in 2004 on The Daily Show. Just totally amazing. And she says, when your house is burning down, you don't worry about the remodeling. Uh, ain't nothing new under the sun. Then also another thing people don't know is that she founded Huffington Post in 2005 with Jonah Peretti, Kenneth Lehrer, and Andrew Breitbart. <laughs> wow. I actually yeah. didn't realize that Andrew Breitbart I didn't realize that either. And I guess Breitbart also worked for the Drudge Report. So she's kind of like playing both sides a little bit here. And okay, but here is, you know, then she was... I think then she made the the HuffPo, you know, which is still around today is like a shitty clickbait outlet. And, you know, I remember, though, that was like it was a big deal in like the 2000s, kind of the early 2010s. Yeah. HuffPo was like a place I used to go to. And then it got so it was, I think the Obama like era, it just got so like. Well, yeah, I think that like it just got flooded with just like people who would just like write for that for free or something, you know, like just the dumbest articles and. It stopped being more of an aggregator or it just dropped off the radar. I don't know. But yeah. Yeah. I mean, it really got replaced yeah. by stuff like Twitter where you just see all these articles coming through your feed, you know? It's, uh-huh. Uh, uh-huh. Yeah. But, 
but okay here and also it, it's uh it, it's worth saying that she's also now you know she i guess yeah she partnered with like aol and all this shit but then and she still pops up all all these she was also a writer for bill maher on politically incorrect in the late 90s so that explains mm-hmm. why she would come on a show all the time and she's actually ended up today on the board of uber <laughs> like she's on the board of Uber for some reason. So I guess, you know, she stopped kind of working at the Huffington Post in 2016 to become the founder and CEO of something called Thrive Global. Now, do you remember oh, Thrive hmm. from a number of episodes back? I think our last episode about QAnon. We were talking about yes. Foster Gamble, who's a descendant of the Procter and Gamble fortune, mm-hmm. is always is running around real? with this movie called Thrive that has uh-huh. been boosted by all kinds of people in like the alt kind of you know, media verse from like, I think Joe Rogan to, I don't know, maybe like democracy now and, you know, natural news. Are they and all related? Uh, well, oh. I don't know if they're, I, I can't tell. It weirdly says on their Wikipedia, which is there, that Thrive Global has been blacklisted by Wikipedia. I don't know, then why do they have hmm. one? Not exactly sure. But yeah, I mean, Ariana Huffington like goes down the list of like, she's, you know, really tight with Oprah. She's all about this like new agey shit. I guess Thrive Global is one of these almost, um, early, you know, what uh, a, uh, oh, sorry. Uh, like, like new agey corporate kind of a, a changing images of man kind of thing of like corporations yeah. are going to become the woke progressive uh, transformers like of the future and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. You know, we're going to teach what? Uber how to be humane. Right. That is interesting. I mean, her early, uh, you know, bibliography is super interesting, too. Like uh, she wrote a book uh, after the female woman, which you mentioned, she wrote a book called After Reason, uh, which is basically about like the decline of Western civilization due to like our lapsing spirituality. Uh, She wrote a book about Maria Callas, I guess, who was a Greek soprano who mostly Mm -hmm. known for her Wagner, who uh, her Mm. family might have been Nazi collaborators. You know, she was very (laughs) popular in occupied Greece, but... You know, again, she was kind of like, they were under occupation, so it's a bit murky, but it's an interesting fascination. Then she wrote a book in 1993 just called The Gods of Greece, which is very weird. Hmm. It's weird that she wrote, like, a book about, like, the, like, the, you know, the Greek gods. Like, is that so necessary? Like, (laughs) just very weird. Uh, But, yeah, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's interesting. I, I almost feel like, you know, with her switch, like, from being Republican to Democrat and, like, Michael Huffington's whole career. They're almost, like, kind of, like, Michael Huffington is, like, pinkwashing uh, embodied. You know, he's, like, mm-hmm. the, uh, we need to, or, like, homo, the embodiment of, like, homo-nationalism. Or, like, <laughs> I mean, maybe that's Pete Buttigieg, but he seems, like, almost like a proto-Pete Buttigieg, where he's, like, yeah. I need to, like, you know, help all these different, like, religions or whatever, or, you know, like, I need to stop terrorism by teaching, uh, you know, by helping uh, Muslims to be gay or whatever, you know, it's just like, yeah, yeah. like you know, his way like, of like, waging uh, the war on terror, yeah. These people be sus, and, you know, just reading the first sentence of thr- her her group, Thrive Global, on Wikipedia, uh, that that isn't actually blacklisted. Uh, it just says, Thrive Global is an American company that provides behavior change technology. Weird. Uh, cool. uh, and then on the website, thing. on the website, the if you go to the about on thriveglobal.com, the big kind of inspirational <laughs> like stock photo platform. title is it says we're on a mission to unlock human potential. Cool. Hmm. Human potential. Yeah. Uh, sound familiar? A truly human company. We're committed to caring deeply for our people and helping them to be successful both professionally and personally. This means helping our people practice self-care. 
which is important every day, but especially now. Offering tools like Thriving Mind to support our people's brain health is one of our top priorities. Ellen Shook, Chief Leadership and Human Resources Officer of Accenture. Okay. Um, guess what? Yeah, uh, just in 2019, Procter & Gamble announces innovative partnership with Thrive Global to foster positive habits. <laughs> oh, yeah, uh, they're, all, they're all in bed together. They're all in bed together. These why we should all aspire to the monk mindset. Uh, the Greek Orthodox monk mindset? Hmm. Jesus, I don't even know. Hmm. But she is suspicious. I mean, I, I, she guarantees she's like been all up in Esalen for years and years. Yeah, I mean, Verhard, uh, that's, uh, or sorry, uh, Werner Erhard. He is, yeah. you know, like a big Esalen figure for a while before he kind of fell out. But it's interesting she that, that she... And like into the Rajneeshis, which is really something, you know. Uh, yeah, yeah, she was. Even, she she yeah, really was. And, um, bizarre and then was, yeah, yeah. affiliated with uh, Roger, John Roger Hinkins' movement of spiritual inner awareness, um, which I What's don't... What's that all about? Let's see. Uh, movement for inner spiritual awareness founded in California in 1968 in Los Angeles by John Roger, former Roger Delano Hinkins, uh, mm. siren alert, <laughs> I don't know, like, you got a Delano in the house. Um, they taught the, an active meditation technique known as spiritual exercises, or SEs. Chanting specific sacred Sanskrit words internally is part of SEs. <laughs> in this aspect, MSIA SEs are similar of to course. transcendental why meditation this, practices. Why is this esoteric Hitlerism? Like, why are the, anyway, yeah, sorry. Hmm, uh, MSIA considers itself a church, in very few traditional senses of the word, a deeply ambivalent attitude towards traditional religiosity characterizes mm, the quote, capital M yes. movement. Hmm. Um, while it while it is legally incorporated as a church and provides tools and techniques for soul of transcendence course it is. for those who are while, looking for while them. While it's tax exempt, you know, we hate uh, God. <laughs> while we are tax exempt, we are enemies of God. Uh, yeah, soul transcendence yeah. as as defined by MSIA is the process of becoming aware of yourself as a soul and as one with God. MSIA considers that its teachings draw primarily on the ministry oh, of Jesus Christ. So it's, quote, it's about being God. It's about how we are gods. Really? You don't say. Uh, is, that, is that, do you hear right? It's about becoming becoming God uh, or well, becoming quote, one, one with God. I guess that's a bit more ambiguous. I just, okay, um, yeah, basically, but it mixes in Buddhism, Taoism, Judaism, and the St. Rata Saumi uh, tradition, and Roger Delano Hankins was born to a Mormon family in Rains, Utah, and I guess went to the University of Utah, and then moved to San Francisco to work as an insurance claims adjuster. I love how, um, like, it's so funny how, like, you know, for one, there's always something missing from, like, this syncretic hodgepodge. Uh, I, I can't help but notice. And also, it's just interesting how, like, the actual people behind this, you know, they'd be like, oh, you know, yeah, Buddhism and the Sanskrit words. But the people behind this are always, like, you know, they're, like, members of, like, the Greek Orthodox Church or whatever. Like, they're converts mm -hmm. to Greek Orthodoxy or they're Mormons or something, you know. No yeah, offense to um, Greek Orthodox or Mormon listeners unless you want uh, Istanbul. You can't have it. Um, 
Well, this also might provide some context, because in the early 1960s, Hankins took a correspondence course with the ancient mystical order Rosicrucis and occasionally (laughs) attended the Agasha Temple of Wisdom. And then in late 1963, he underwent a kidney stone surgery, which led to a nine-day coma and near-death experience. Shortly after this, Hankins visited two trance channelers and claimed to have encountered a higher consciousness named John within himself and began referring to himself as John Roger. (laughs) Um, that's a lot. Uh, wh- that's a wait, lot. who is this guy again? What is his role in Thrive? Oh, he's the, like, what's his uh, office at Thrive? Or he's part of the, the movement. No, he the founded the movement, movement of spiritual, the movement yeah, of spiritual inner now. awareness. Right, yeah, sorry. I'm still on the Thrive Global page myself going through the backlog of uh, what I've learned with Ariana Huffington, uh, which is her podcast about, you know, all these different very ways cool to be, ways to be so yeah, um, the, yeah the the just the, the most popular person to be associated with msia was ariana huffington but this is interesting other notable members are the beach boys carl wilson and you know his cousin mike love in the beach boys was a huge devotee of tm they even did like a song about it mm-hmm. and i guess jamie king the model actress actress sally kirkland i guess beach boys carl wilson was the biggest one Sounds like a uh, sus kind of Hollywood. You got your Christian scientists. You got your, you know, Scientologists. Now you have your MSIA people who I guess are like crypto Rosicrucians or something. Who the hell knows? But Ariana Huffington just loves it all. It's great. It's wonderful. And yeah, they're sus. It's amazing how this guy was uh, accused in the 80s and early 1990s by several former members, uh, that is, uh, John Roger Hinkins. He was accused of high-tech charlatanism, the sexual coercion of young male staffers, brainwashing and intimidation, and plagiarism. Okay, yeah, par uh, for the course. Yeah, when asked by uh, ABC News' Ted Koppel if MSIA qualified as a cult, uh, Steve Hassan, cult expert and psychologist, replied, in my professional opinion, it does. It's a pyramid-structured authoritarian regime that uses deception and recruitment and mind-control techniques to keep people dependent and obedient. People are instilled with phobias that if they ever question John Roger or if they ever leave the group, terrible things will happen to them. Apparently, he employed covert listening devices uh, to prove wow. that he had, to suggest that he had extrasensory perception. Oh my God. So wow. he was like telling people that he could like hear their thoughts, but he was actually just spying on their conversations. Damn, okay, this is crazy. According to Susan Whitmore, MSIA defectors hesitated to challenge Hinkins publicly even after leaving the movement because we were made to be afraid. She claims that Hinkins would declare that people who questioned him had placed themselves under the Cal, a devil-like spirit, power and its field of negativity known as the Red Monk and would essentially be warning that members who associated with defectors risked spiritual disaster. You know, that's... Typical. Whitmore alleged his woman was told she had a miscarriage because she hugged one of the defectors. Oh my god. So he would of course, threaten of them course, with like the their red ultimate monk. villain is a uh, is a spiritually literate, you know, person dressed in red, like a communist. Um hmm, interesting. The red monk. The red a tax monk. exempt Ho- church. Man. Uh he died in twenty fourteen though. Hmm. Interesting. So huh. she's all about that. She's all up in that. Is she's she partnering still with every major corporation. This? What? Or is she still involved in this, or does it, did it just cease to exist with his death? Um, no, I think it was something that she was. I, it might, I, no, I think it still goes on, but I believe that she was mostly affiliated with it in maybe the seventies and the eighties. Right. Okay. Before it became, like you know, unfashionable. 
Um, yes, and it's interesting sure that she was a right wing, like she was a very yeah. right wing conservative person up until kind of like 2000, but was in all this like liberal woo woo new agey shit like nonstop, which is further drives home our point that all of it was like crypto right wing and like fascist and like esoteric Nazism, like from the yeah. beginning, kind of that it's like strangely yeah. compatible with right wing ideologies and you know, corporate power and like mind controlling everybody and all this other nefarious shit. So, yeah, not very I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure that she's still like, I'm sure, that, yeah, you know. It, people's ideas don't really change that significantly like in adulthood i think that like neither sh- and there's a reason why she was married to michael huffington i feel like and she probably knew what was up with him i would imagine that he's you know i don't you know uh not to not take him at his word or anything but i feel like he's probably not by <laughs> really necessarily uh since you know he was saying he was celibate and everything in 2004 um, yeah, I, yeah, yeah, and I don't I, think he yeah. was celibate in 1998. Just you know, in my own personal Probably, opinion, if you know what yeah. I'm saying. Not at the MNC estate. I, I, I would think maybe not, but yeah. you know, we don't know for um, sure. But uh, but at the same time, I don't know. And and she's she was basically doing an insight role at this point of like LARPing as a kind of liberal. But I don't think her underlying kind of operating system and worldview really changed. Yeah. I definitely don't yeah. think so. She says uh, she doesn't mind thinking of herself as the mythological Ariadne, the king of Crete's daughter who saved Theseus by handing him a thread to help him find his way out of the labyrinth after slaying the Minotaur. Extremely isn't sus. Ariadne isn't Ariadne have like sus connotations? I mean, in a way, uh, I mean it's a spider. Ariadne got turned into a spider. It's wait, it's a spider. Ariadne was turned into a spider because she boasted that her weaving was better than I believe Minerva. Or, uh, what? Okay, now we're getting weird. Uh, like, think about that, you know, that, that sign or whatever that's at the entrance of Bohemian Grove, like, weaving spiders come not here. Hmm. Well, yeah, that, that's, isn't that, like, a theory that, like, the owls and the spiders are, like, uh, you know, battling? And that, they're the, uh, the, the, they're the Batman Grove and like, Joker. spider-aligned? Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. Maybe that, is that the Yankee and Cowboy dialectic? The, the, yeah, the spiders versus owl owls. Maybe the spider worshippers. It also makes me think that is it a coincidence that it's the, a spider you know, world, or they want it to be? Yeah, a spider well, no, world, exactly. Because one of the Gettys, yeah. one of the Gettys names is is Ariadne Getty. Really, Ariadne Getty? Yeah, that, uh, I believe. Uh, oh, hold, uh, let me double check this. It is either Andrew Getty's sister or Andrew Getty's cousin is named Ariadne Getty. And she was actually, I tweeted about her a while back because she had gotten into the climate movement around the time that Greta Thunberg was, uh, I don't know if you remember that tweet I had like years back, like a Getty, a Kennedy, and like a former like CIA finance guy who worked for the Gates Foundation, like walk into a bar together and fund a climate movement. And that was basically Ariadne Getty. And so she is actually, she is the daughter of, of John Paul Getty Jr. So she is uh, uh, Andrew Getty's cousin. Yeah, and, and she, so she's been very involved with like a lot of like uh, causes and stuff like that. And uh, I guess, I don't know, she was named after a spider goddess. Um, <laughs> so wow, as maybe, recently. Uh, yeah, well, not a goddess, but a mythological figure. As recently as yes. 2011, Ariana Huffington told uh, a New York Magazine reporter who was doing a profile on her that she still ties like 10% of her income 
to various charities, including charities run by John Roger Hinkins. Uh, Whoa. So she's funding his cult, basically? Uh, yeah. Huffington's counterpoint to uh, this lifestyle, I guess her rich lifestyle, was her longtime guru, John Roger, a Mormon from Utah who fell into a nine-day coma in the 60s during a routine surgery, after which he found that a new personality had taken over his old one. With a background in neuro-linguistic programming and all manner of new-age frippery like walking on hot coals with Tony Robbins, Huffington oh began God. to think of herself as a guru as well, setting forth a simple benign message in a self-help book she wrote in 1994. Each individual, she said, has a responsibility to rise above our baby bawlings and mewlings and connect with the good, compassionate side of ourselves, otherwise known as the soul or our fourth instinct. The first three are survival, power, and the sexual urge. Worry is a form of atheism, she has explained, and so is most fear. Maureen Orth, in an explosive 1994 Vanity Fair story about Huffington, claimed that she received consulting payments as much as $10,000 at one time from John Roger, perhaps in return for introducing him to her famous friends, Huffington denied this and, in fact, tells me that she tithes 10% of her income today to various charities, including those run by John Roger. Wow. Mm. Wow. Yeah, I do want to... Well, I think we'll, we'll probably move on because we could probably yeah, spend a yeah, lot of time do, on this, right? but I, I'd like yeah. to come back one day to this. I mean, when we get into the kind of New Age sus lords, you know, in the more recent years, she seems to be very much at the heart of it. So... Yeah. You know? Very, definitely. Definitely. Uh, yeah, and, like... Yeah, her Greek background is interesting as well. Like the fact that she, you know, was brought up kind of in a, you know, she was encouraged to engage with her traditional Greek heritage. And mm, I wonder what Times her family, I wonder what side her family was on during the war. Yeah, according to this uh, article, it says uh, she was expected by her family to lead a traditional Greek lifestyle, left to pour energy and considerable intellect into church-based philanthropy and the fierce, almost tribal protection of her brood. And hmm. she's still got her ex-husband running around out there standing for the orthodox church you know doing all kinds of stuff yeah so, and i'm sure who knows she's what they're still, really up to she wants to reclaim hagia sophia she wants it back i can tell i think she does uh, want it she's, back she's not I, getting I, it back uh, i'm getting that vibe yeah yeah, yeah that's why the mm -hmm. love jihad was uh or you know yeah i think love, exactly the jihad for love is all uh what i'm saying is jihad for love is all about trying to retake constantinople but they're not getting it. uh <laughs> Sultan Erdogan. Yeah, we, we little, caught him. We fight. caught him, folks. Yeah, exactly. I know. I'm not. I'm not actually. I mean, I'm joking about Sultan Erdogan, but I'm, I'm not joking uh, about how they want it. I think that they actually do. Our hidden cameras expose a scandal of money, power, and influence stretching from Washington to Hollywood. The Army, the Navy, and the Social Security Administration have been recruited by a bizarre New Age group. It's also signed up Lockheed and McDonnell Douglas and drafted a legion of movie stars. I'm an ordained minister in a non-denominational church called the Movement of Spiritual Inner Awareness. Believe it or not, your tax dollars have been spent training federal employees at seminars accused of using brainwashing techniques. Those taxpayer dollars and those individual dollars are being fed into this huge, well-oiled machine. It's a cult. It's from the bottom to the top, it's a cult. Ethnic Insight Consulting Group's primary aim is to bring the teachings of the traveler into business and into government. Don't your followers pray to you? <laughs> Today we infiltrate the so-called Cadillac of cults. You've been described as a, a guru. 
who claims to be the equal of Jesus Christ. Excuse me, take, take your hands off my camera. Take me to your leader. Okay, we're back. Now we can move on to number three. Yeah. Want to read that? Sure. Let me look at it here. Well, we're only on three. All right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> let's say hypothetically, this is from Wave Shape. Let's say hypothetically you have to debate a normal American liberal who says there is no subliminal jihad. They agree to read one or two books and debate the thesis. Which books are you coming with, and what is your most accessible argument for speaking to the general audience viewing the debate? This is, for me, this is really a nightmare question because I just like the idea of like having a debate just sounds awful. Like, especially to debate a normal American, like, what does it even mean? What do normal American liberals even believe at this point? Like, like what kind of liberal is it? You know, is I, it like a I super assume, Hillary uh, liberal? Just for, you know, yes. Like, for the for the for the ease of uh, trying to you know confront this question, I, I think we can assume they mean kind of like an NPR in this house. We believe like kind of liberal. Uh huh. Um. So. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, so, and what exactly am I trying to convince them of? Because there's so many like different components and layers to like the swimmel jihad. You know, like I think, uh, you know, I'm trying to convince them. Yeah, of what? Like, yeah, I, 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 I like, think you know, I a, maybe a, a, any again given thing like what like that. I, I again, I yeah, I, I would say that trying to convince somebody from just as a, as a meta answer. I would probably not approach it in that way because trying to get somebody who's totally like NPR pilled to get on board ontologically with the idea of the Simulable Jihad is like an incredibly heavy lift. And I don't even think like like that's why if you ask like, okay, one or two books, it it would almost have to be I feel like the Subliminal Jihad, at least in, in the positive sense, is waged on particular battlefronts of particular issues of historical note and things like that. And so, you know, like I, I've always viewed it as it focus on getting some, and it, it honestly depends with each person, because I think some people are a little bit more naturally open to maybe certain things that are often categorized as off limits. And but not but they're not necessarily gonna ride with everything. So it's like for some people, you could convince them that the JFK assassination was a conspiracy. But then if you want to tell them that like the ruling class has a secret religion uh, that is basically satanic or something like that, they're gonna be like, whoa, 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 hold on. So whereas if you're talking to a religious person, I might actually lead with that because I know that they are ontologically more amenable to grasping that concept. And they have like, they have it fit. It fits somewhere into their worldview that I can kind of synergize yeah. with. It requires and try to be like, 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 so like bringing up Aquino to like a right wing evangelical. I mean, I guess it's not a liberal. So this is really about liberals. Okay. So, um, but you know, like, yeah, how do you, One cause you know, you could kind of, I feel like JFK is low hanging fruit a little bit. Well, that's the thing, like, you know, it's different from, like, it's different from being, like, I think, like, you know, in terms of trying to convince someone that JFK was assassinated by the CIA or, you know, or something, I think, like, Oglesby Book does a decent job, you know, the Cowboy Inc. Board does a decent enough job of doing that, and I think there's myriad books that you could raise, and I almost feel like that's not really, one book that comes to mind is uh, Restating Orientalism by, well, Halak, because I think that 
Well, that book is like very sweeping. You know, the subtitle of that book is A Critique of Modern Knowledge. But I feel mm-hmm. like that, uh, you know, it's both a critique, of course, of, uh, you know, the institutions of like American academia and Euro-American academia and knowledge production and their connection with systems of power, uh, colonialism and imperialism, and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the critique of sort of in, in the myth of the Enlightenment and things like that. But it's also a critique of Edward Said and, and Orientalism, you know, what well, kind of building on that idea, uh, talking about how, you know, this critique ultimately has a certain shallowness to it and it really needs to, to go deeper and to implicate uh, some of the things that Said was very tolerant of, like, uh, you know, the sort of institutions of uh western knowledge production uh and all the mm-hmm. disciplines around the discipline of orientalism that he criticized disciplines of history and and of literature and things like that english literature and things like that. you know or you know his critique was very was very literary uh but didn't really critique the foundations of uh you know the sort of uh, valorization of of the literary or of, of English literature. In fact, it kind of uh, replicated it or rehearsed it. And I think that's something that might be accessible because it's kind of uh, in certain ways abstract, but also I think that there's a very strong materialistic portions of that book and something, it's a topic that people are familiar with. And I think something like that lays the groundwork for, you know, a different epistemological approach that I feel like is key to the subliminal jihad as I conceive it. Another book that I mentioned a lot is Not of the Soul by Stefania Pandolfo. I think there's a lot of books that, you know, you won't get explore for this topic, but I think that's an accessible book in terms of getting people on board with the idea of like stepping outside like a super rationalist, materialist epistemology that I think you have to sometimes step outside of in order to grapple with the topics that we that we do on, on the show a lot of the time. So those are yeah. two books that maybe I, I, I would recommend uh, yeah. because I think that yeah, there's a lot of like there's a lot of epistemological baggage I feel like that a normal American liberal has to overcome like a normal American liberal to me I don't know maybe something that is very essential to it is like a super uh, a deep like attachment to the idea that like mad dog Mattis or whatever is like fundamentally good like deep down or something like that you know yeah, and yeah, yeah. also that like America is like the greatest country in the world or whatever and that like rationality and stats and data so it really yes. you know that's it's a yeah it's, I, a, big, I think it's a daunting task it's a huge mountain there is climb. a deep and I can just, well like, of yeah. Of, of like of like nervous optimism that we are indeed the good guys at the end of the day. And so it, it can be just as difficult as any like right wing evangelical like patriot person who like loves America it can be equally as difficult to get into like the head of a liberal and get them to even consider that there are people like operating like in like purposely nefarious ways to aggrandize their own power. They are very susceptible to, I think what uh, Gustavus Myers pointed out in kind of how corporate tycoons never got actually thrown in jail as they were often when they were caught doing a crime, it was usually decided they were a victim of circumstances. You know, it's like Mad Dog Mattis was a victim of circumstances when he went and like firebombed Fallujah and like killed a million civilians and like sprayed them with gas and shit. Yeah. You know, he just like he was a victim of circumstances. What was he supposed to do? He was a Marine general or something like I don't know. It's just this weird kind of thing or just like not being able to accept that like anybody in like the Clinton or the Obama administration was like nefarious on purpose. And even at this point, having difficulty accepting the Bush Cheney administration did things nefariously on purpose. They think kind of 
it's a weird kind of deflection thing that uh, just like how, you know, Batman needs Joker, they need to kind of, uh, the, the cognitive dissonance needs to be handled somehow. And so they end up, I think. Yeah, I almost feel like it's uh, not I don't know. even, uh, I almost feel like it's not even about like intent because intent, like, yeah, I mean, like what is evil intent? What is nefarious intent? Like very rarely are people self-conceiving as being evil but there's a certain point where like it crosses the border of mattering and we just need to like be able to disengage from these pieties which i think that for someone who really i think is being indicated by the american liberal a normal american liberal you know there's something they're deeply invested in like to me a normal american liberal is someone who like loves hamilton which is yeah. like such like uh like that is a huge like epistemological gap from i feel like where we're operating from like yeah. you know that like if you are remotely like a reachable i feel like then that is something that you would immediately recoil from like this hideous like confused like repugnant like myth making around like these people you know like again like i think the idea yeah. that like people you know, operate within their circumstances that exist within history, like, that obviously is true and does make sense, but, like, the naivety about, like, that type of thing and that, like, that deep, like, mytho, like, you know, that, that deep commitment to this sort of, like, uh, total myth and, like, delusion about, mm -hmm. like, history and reality is something that, yeah, I almost feel like, you know, yeah, it's funny, because when you're dealing with, with people who are, like, normal American liberals, I feel like they are... I don't know like I'm just imagining certain people that I've known in my life and it's like the incredible like arrogance and smugness about like your irrationality when really yeah. they're like the most deluded people who you'll ever encounter you know like there'll be the yeah. ones who'll be like mm, yeah you really believe in like the devil or is it, you know is it like uh, I'm sorry <laughs> what what you you believe in the devil and meanwhile they believe that like uh, Alexander Hamilton was an abolitionist or something or like that he was like you know that George Washington was a great man <laughs> like you know and not like a yeah. genocidal maniac uh, yeah exactly you know, like, exactly uh, you know yeah, or that yeah, like no, it, yeah it, George W. Uh, Bush is like a good man deep down Mattis is a good man deep down like things like that you know or that yeah, America is a force for good in the world. <laughs> like stuff like it's just like we've really yeah. gotten to a point now where they're they really are getting as deeply psyoped as like the right wing. Uh, not not that they never, uh, not that they never like weren't psyoped. You know, or, you know what I mean? But like they, I feel like the the right wing, like through kind of Fox News and talk radio and conservative online stuff like the Drudge Report, like they really got into the heads of their devotees in a very intense way kind of first. And like liberals have spent the last like 10, 15 years, like really trying to fine tune, psyoping their own sort of followers. But it's gotten to a point now where it's like you, you turn on like NPR or something. And I feel like it is way more like uh, I you know I don't it's hard to even like nail down a term for it without using one of their bullshit projection terms for like communism like it's totalitarian it's like anti-free speech it's like they're reading propaganda but it is kind of like they're all yeah. reading from this like probably proudly well, like reading both. from like a propaganda script that yeah. is very manipulative I feel like both have spiraled off and escalated and gotten worse but yeah I mean I guess where liberals in theory maybe started from is a place that feels closer to where we're operating from like you know they don't like believe in like aggrandizing like selfishness I mean 
there, I like now I feel like there's a populist movement in uh, you know on the right like that is more significant and that like theoretically believes like in the idea of like a social safety net and like uplifting the working class and things like that although they're totally captured by forces that work against those things at every turn like despite promising yes. them but that's really true of liberals as well and it has been true for a long time so mm-hmm. like really there yeah, was they're, talking about it yeah it's really like a but i guess like for a while there wasn't really so much of that on the right like that had a significant more political force but now they do have like a completely like you know, a populist rhetorical movement that mostly is toothless and only going to achieve, like, you know, a bunch of uh, kickbacks for uh, the, you know, most depraved, like, wealthy people, like, under false pretenses, like, now Mm -hmm. it's really hard to make a a true meaningful distinction with liberals. Uh, And, like, that is something that I think, like, I'm imagining this American liberal now, like, that's, like, appalling to suggest, but it's really true. Like, you know, you could say, like, oh, you know, Trump... But he, Trump was so awful, you know, like uh, I'm thinking about the thing like that most appalled me about Trump, you know, was uh, the things that most appalled me about Trump's presidency was, of course, like Israel-Palestine stuff, you know, the border, things like that. But like now we have Joe Biden, like is anything better? Not really. No. Some like, you know, minor things, perhaps like there's a slight improvement, but it's certainly not significant enough that I want to give him any credit for it. Like there There's really should be a much change. more significant difference. Uh, yeah, on those, the, like, the way points. in well, which like, the the, the yeah, U.S. Like government the, presents itself to the world and to like its own citizens has changed. Like the branding has changed, but it's the same product at the end of the day. Yeah, like nothing in those like disaster areas. You know, I think that that maybe will be a sobering uh, re- realization for some people. You would think, probably not. Probably they won't be able to truly confronted but you think it would be a sobering realization of these disaster areas i think of particularly the border a lot of americans don't care about israel palestine or, or an issue like that but i think that the border was something that was a huge issue for many liberals during uh the trump administration but to see nothing change and for biden and and kamala to like double down on that and to not actually modify it at all and really kind of fulfill exactly what trump said which was that this was they agreed with him on this and that they were (laughs) the architects of it you know i think that that maybe will be uh well i think that that should be a sobering realization for people but they probably won't be able to confront it uh or well going going back to directly answering this question even though it's hard to pick something that i feel ooh, this would be a silver bullet but i would be tempted to offer the history of the great American fortunes, even though it is a little older yeah. and everything, because doesn't Gustavus Myers say in that that oftentimes a quote unquote reformist political party or politician can do much more kind of nefarious damage than an openly corrupt like political Tammany Hall machine because nobody's like looking out for them to be corrupt like the people don't have their eyes on them. And I think that was like you kind of could apply that to like Trump and Biden and all this kind of stuff of like. You know, basically Trump, even though, yeah, like he had all these scandals swirling around him, like every he couldn't take a shit without people calling for his impeachment, basically, for like four years. And like every little thing he did. Now, they showed a surprising reticence to not follow through, really. Maybe they will throw him in jail for taxes or some bullshit. But, you know, they never wanted to go into like his mob ties or like his connections to Adnan Khashoggi or anything like that. But they still were like harassing him all the time. Like people were making careers off of digging up dirt on Trump. And with Biden, 
it's going back to this kind of thing of, you know, didn't the CNN reporter ask like a week or two ago, like, sir, sir, how can we cover you more compassionately, like in public? And it was just like that's but that's the mentality now. Like, that, they, they, like and I, I feel like even an earlier liberal from like the 90s would be embarrassed to ask that question to a president or a spokesperson in public. Right. Yeah. Like well, that would like just be like such simpery. Switch polarities again, where you're kind of slipping back to the Obama era where on the right, you know, it's the opposite where they're like trying to tie everything to Biden and make everything about Biden personally and how like we need to be in power again. But it's just like not new under yeah. the sun, not new under the um, sun. But uh, yeah, uh, but also yeah, but I'm before, just imagining, uh, before I. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Wait. Yeah, we're gonna say another. Book. Oh no, no. Uh, say say what you're gonna say. That's oh, I was just saying. Book. I'm just imagining this debate with like, yeah. I mean, another book I'd recommend to anybody is the Quran. I probably, if I had to actually do this <laughs> debate, I might just like read the Quran, like you just like st- read it and like not uh, actually engage with anything, because I can just imagine like having to debate this person and then being like, um, you've committed the like you know fallacy where you said like and you know, uh, and therefore argument invalid, you know, or something. Uh, we see y'all out here. We see y'all doing the like you know fallacy out here in our in our yeah. uh, you know mm-hmm. apple uh, apple uh, podcast ex- reviews yeah we yeah. get it you know okay did we get bad <laughs> apple podcast reviews about saying like and you know uh like eh, just a couple know. they don't matter who gives a shit but wow. you know it's the only thing they can't it's the uh, only thing a liberal can that. say because they can't come at us on the facts because we got too many well, they facts can't come to, at us on the know, facts yeah, all yeah, right. Yeah, notice on the facts. And, you know, I think that the other book I would recommend, even though I, I have my uh, slate kind of, I don't know, certain smaller issues with the book. I wouldn't say it's necessarily perfect, but Tom O'Neill's chaos about just everything surrounding the Manson murders, I feel like it actually is kind of, it, it's like lib optimized to basically get through to them. And I think that while it might be frustrating to people who are like, McGowan pilled to read him kind of cautiously talking about how much he kind of, you know, agonized over how he wouldn't be taken seriously and he wanted to get like all the facts and all this stuff. And maybe some people feel like uh, he, he really could go farther. I still feel like he makes inferences in it that are pretty radical in, in you know, in, in any kind of, you know, mainstream American culture around like the whole narrative around the sixties and the Manson thing. It also does have this kind of like courtroom, like legal kind of framework intrigue about it of like this prosecutor who became a celebrity is actually like was full of shit. And like, he's kind of like a psycho egomaniac who gets called out near the end of the book and, you know, Vincent Bugliosi. And then, you know, there's even a kind of, I think there is a tangent in that book and it does mention that, well, this was, the guy who was like the most prominent debunker of the JFK assassination and like obsessively, you know, I think, what didn't he come out with like a 900 page book or something that was just interminably like dense and long and not very convincing, like defending the Warren Commission findings. And like, so it's like, but you know, O'Neill, I think clearly discredits him and proves that there was something weird going on. And it's enough in almost like this Vanity Fair feature article kind of way of like it involves all these famous people that we all know. Everybody just saw the Tarantino movie a couple years ago that I feel like like that's where I would go tactically. I'm not saying it's like the absolute best source on this stuff, like from my own perspective. But if you're going with somebody who's like totally NPR pilled and Hamilton pilled, like if you show them that because everybody knows what Charles Manson supposedly was, it's like an iconic cultural touchstone. But if you can overturn that rock and be like, 
hey, wait a minute, like, look at this guy. And this guy's like a real, he's a serious journalist, you know? So you can't really dismiss him. He's not just a wacko or somebody with a podcast. So I think like that's where I would go if I was coming up against somebody who was very lib-pilled about conspiracies in particular, like the CIA kind of doing nefarious things like didn't MK Ultra not work because they tried to mind control people with LSD and it was a big failure you know like that kind of thing um which I've, I've gotten a lot when I bring up MK Ultra uh, which is you know the official like limited hangout explanation for it we of course know on Subliminal Jihad that it went so much deeper but yeah that's probably where I would start I can't say it would work but that it's a real uphill battle I think trying to get the libs on our ontological wavelength, but we must try. Yes. I'm reading uh, <laughs> our, uh, what's it called, our IFL podcast reviews right now. This one is interesting. No investigation, no right to speak, and no, Googling history on the fly doesn't count. If you haven't intentionally and rigorously investigated the baseline cultural assumptions associated with the Cold War propaganda that is a subject in the Imperial Corps you have been inculcated in since birth, Okay, its ramifications and implications, then you're going to be led to default imperialist conclusions. I feel like maybe you could say that about me, but that seems odd to say about you. Yeah, I, I feel Very like that's odd. exactly what we Doing try to CIA's do. Doing CIA's work for free. Yeah, weird. I feel like that is not something. I have some things. I have some opinions that you could maybe, like, say or, or, or imperialist if you were, like, a, you know, a, a leftist, but... Uh, I, that I could see people saying, you know, I've been called an imperialist before for like, uh, you know, certain things. But and, I'm kind you know, of getting, yeah. I, I can't say for sure, but I'm kind of getting like teenage dangest vibes from that comment. Maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, maybe. I think maybe because we said some things about China no, that right. were a little yeah, bit critical, yeah. mm-hmm, that right. we're not defending the socialist hegemon and thus we're just like inculcated with false Western propaganda, which I don't think that's what we're doing. I think we're get, we're digging into some deep cuts about China whenever we do talk about China. And there's much more to go. I'm certainly not... I mean, I would never support, you know, any kind of like military confrontation, but, you know, things are not the same as they were during the Cold War One. Yeah, exactly. You know, like I'm we have an integrated like about, economy. You know, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. There's a lot of on the table, like a, a war, like anyone who thinks that it is. I, I just don't feel like that is, is credible. Yes. And yeah. I, so, yeah, I, I don't know what that. Yeah. No investigation. No right to speak. I mean, that's like a Maoist maxim. So I don't know. Maybe they're an MLM or something like that. But mm-hmm. again, like yeah. I, 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 th- I feel like I'm pretty like uh, like I haven't read a ton of Mao. I'm going to be straight up about that. But uh, I feel like I, I've, I've been I probably said more positive things than negative things about Mao. Like, I'm more in a kind of impulse of, like, people should just, like, people need to stop bashing Mao until we figure out the hell is going on ontologically. You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) same, kind of the same with Stalin. Like, we need to stop bashing Stalin until we figure out what the hell, like, actually happened because, like, we're running, that's exactly what we try to do all the fucking time. I don't know. We bring up Grover Fur. Like, what do you want? (laughs) Like, you know what I mean? Like, uh, yeah, we're we're trying to unpack these imperialist assumptions that, yes, we were raised with as Americans. That's part of the, it's part of the journey. You know, it's part of the climb. Mm -hmm. You know, like, we're trying to unpack all the bullshit that we learned in school. Nothing to be done about that. And in our culture. So, a lot of know, a lot of uh, references to the um and us. Yes, especially singling out me. Khalid is an awful speaker. <laughs> yes, I know. Well, I don't know what to tell you. I mean, we're just shooting the shit here. We're just talking. This is just a conversation. Uh, I'm not like giving. Yeah. Uh, I'm not uh, preparing for a debate with uh, the American liberal here. Uh, this is a good one. Evidently, editing is sus. Uh, yeah, well, it is. It is sus. Um, but yeah, uh, too much. Too much editing is sus. Um, yeah, this yeah. one is. This I, one's my favorite. We do uh, edit though. 
Yeah, this is this is my favorite. Like, 75% of their content is interesting and worth following up on, but the rest is pretty embarrassing. Their default position when confronted <laughs> by an event that strikes them as odd is to attribute it to a genie. Really. <laughs> Bigfoot and Mothman? We're leaning towards genies, folks. A guy wearing a hat in the background of a grainy video whose features are too hard to make out? Clearly a genie. Not a podcast I let other people catch me listening to. Hmm. Sounds like someone's mm. a little too self-conscious. Uh, and, yeah, yeah. Well, a little afraid are, of they're gin. considering uh, a gin. gin. Wow. Yeah, I don't know mm. why he's a glossing gin as a genie. Uh, hmm, a little bit. Yeah. But, yeah. Aladdin fan 69 is triggered. Yeah, well, I mean, that is a, uh, I mean, you know, that that is actually a helpful review of our podcast. You know, if someone was, uh, you know, not wanting to hear about how things might be gin. And they probably shouldn't listen, you know, so I, Fair I, enough. Can, I can tolerate that one because I think that that, you know, to each their looking to at each their, their reviews, own. they actually might be helped by that. Uh, yeah. yeah, but that's the kind of shit we would have to confront if we were to sort of go head to head with some liberals is it would be shit like that. Like you talk about gin too much. You say, um, and, you know, and <laughs> I just like, don't you know think what I mean? spectral <laughs> evidence of gin. Can be, yeah, exactly. You say, I um, mean, well, yeah, we would lose. I would. Well, I, Dimitri would have to be the debate representative because I guess would lose a debate. Unless I were rigorously prepared with like prefabricated monologues to <laughs> deliver a speech, because uh, otherwise I would use filler words while I was thinking or something uh, like that. So I would in- inherently lose because the audience would be like, hmm, "Not very persuasive." Uh, the narrative. Yeah, arc but you was can lost. also uh, mm-hmm. kind of like Foucault at the Chomsky debate. Like you can read long passages of like yeah. dense text, mm-hmm. like just, really, really saying, fast um, without stumbling, which would be kind of a flex. For a long period of time. Yeah, that would be <laughs> right. that would be a flex, though. They'd be a little intimidated by your ability to like talk, like to to read and. Uh, to like read dense works like that quickly it would start to make their head spin and they would get nervous probably yeah well i'd so, have to just write know. i'd have to do what uh some of the you know some of these podcasts do and just write out a long speech uh and then i wouldn't have to say i'm more like during it uh but you know i mean mm. whatever like if we were gonna write a long three-hour speech every week it would just be too much work you know we have lives uh yeah we put a lot exactly. of work into the podcast but we're gonna just talk like we're having a normal conversation uh i am anyway, gradually sorry, working you, on making it yes. louder for anybody who's uh, offered that uh, uh, yeah you can listen to it on your speakerphone Last I you checked, know. we only had positive reviews and no no people calling us uh, in in the CIA. So you know, I had to brush up. But anyway, that's uh, that's besides Anyways, the, that's um, the point here. Yeah, yeah. it mm-hmm. so that's, It's inevitable. Yeah, we've already been defeated in this in this debate with our uh, you know with our Apple reviewers. So I don't know how well it would fare in the debate with the American liberal, but but we'll see. Hopefully, none of them challenge us. Hopefully, none of them like debate me. <sighs> Hopefully not. Hopefully I not. I mean, but maybe we would debate yeah. another podcast that was more adjacent to us. You know, maybe. I don't know. Maybe. Uh, I could see yeah. that happening. Yeah. Okay. I don't know. Well, well uh, I just let's, don't want to debate anything because I don't think that helps anything. Like, I just don't think that ba- debates ever change anyone's mind. I think that they just make people dig in deeper. Uh, yes, exactly. The There's so many but, so many intra-left debates going on right now of these bigger kind of accounts. You know, it's like you got, oh, like the Young Turks are like fighting <laughs> Jimmy Dore and like so-and-so's Glenn Greenwald is fighting a new person every week. And yes. everyone's like having debates and then like quote tweeting each other about like, I actually owned you. And then their followers are like, no, you got owned. And it's like so lame. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyways. OK, let's move on to number four. Um we can probably make this quick because this will be an episode, but yeah, um, yeah. So uh, yeah, TT Boy writes any commentary on the Boston Bombers' uncle's links with the CIA. 
Well, yes, his uncle probably was a CIA operative. His uncle, Ruslan Sarnayev, who married the daughter of Graham Fuller, who was instrumental in the 1980s in Operation Cyclone, Bill Casey's plan to, you know, support the Mujahideen. Um, yeah, there's like a shitload there. It's incredibly yeah. sus. But like I said, I think we're going to we have a few books on it and we're going to do a deep dive one of these days. But just rest assured, Uncle Russ is sus. Uh, yeah, I found a hilarious article. Uh, oh, no wonder this is such a ridiculous article. It's by Asra Nomani, uh, who's like known as like being like, I'm Muslim, but like I basically like the Islamophobic Muslim, you know, okay. uh, uh, sort of the Candace Owens of Muslims. But uh, yeah, yes. it was is and it was in the Washington Post of all places. And it was called it's, it's headlined Muslims have a problem. Uncle Ruslan may have the answer. And it's all about just how we need to shame uh you know people for uh being Doing losers terrorism. like he famously did yes exactly <gasps> oh uh, yeah you're right because he did he, he went out very bizarrely and was like my sons my nephews were losers <laughs> and like i hate them like i disown them and wait so this article was applauding uncle russ yes it said uh what i heard i uh someone asked him uh do you think they got radicalized in the mosque in that area? Uh, I asked. I guess she was the one who asked the question, maybe. Uh, what I heard, mm -hmm. I couldn't believe. I've become so used to the tactic of deflection. He looked me straight in the eye and said, most likely somebody radicalized them. But it's not my brother who just moved back to Russia, who spent his life bringing bread to their table, fixing cars, fixing cars. What happened when this Muslim American looked us in the eye and admitted the problem? Snarny became uh, Sarni became Uncle Ruslan to millions of Americans watching him on TV and later online, winning their respect, first with apologies and then with his hands clenched, fierce indignation, outrage and anger over the suspected role of his nephews as the Boston Marathon bombers. And there was his color too, still using AOL when most don't even know it exists, scolding Jokar to turn himself in. Um, wow, so it's just about like what Uncle Russ. Uh, yeah, he worked for USAID in, in, I think, Kazakhstan in the 1990s. Yeah, he was, like, married so. to Graham Fuller's daughter? Daughter. Or, yeah. Yeah, yeah he was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Graham Sorry. Fuller yeah. is, like, a huge, like, high-level CIA huge guy whose, like, specialty uh, who is Central Asia and, like, encouraged creating Al-Qaeda. Like, yeah, possibly oh, yeah, yeah. had the idea for Iran-Contra. Yeah. Oh, you're right. Uh, he did He did have some weird kind of early connection where he, like, helped well, yeah, he, craft the well, Enterprise, was, like, right? Yeah, one of the original, like, Islam analyst, or sorry, Islam analyst spooks, uh, and he, like, was, like, you know, he, he wrote some white paper or something or some, you know, article, maybe, that, uh, I guess, encouraged the Reagan administration to, to try this whole thing. Yeah, yeah, to, like, a spread kind of uh, a sort of the sort of Saudi uh, version of, like, militant like jihad uh, against communism. I mean, maybe he also, I'm sure that he did promote that as well, but I think like the whole idea of secretly contacting uh, Iran and like selling them weapons. Uh, oh, you mean the yeah. Iran part was his yeah. idea. I see. I see. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. But he was, he was heavily involved in Afghanistan and Operation Cyclone in the 80s as well. Yes, I guess that was, was really his, you know, Yeah, well, I mean, once 9-11 happened, all these people, like, you know, really got in there. You know, they really, mm -hmm. it was a he huge... Did. Yeah, he was also big, well, he was big in the 80s, and then, yeah, after 9-11, I don't know if he was one of those, yeah. like, cowboys that, like, air, like was, like, 
parachuted into like meet the Northern Alliance and like ride on horseback uh, early on. Yeah. But he was definitely intimately involved, I think, in those operations as well. And still is, I think, somebody who like floats around in different think tanks and stuff to this day. Like a pretty, yeah, pretty influential guy. And the fact that Uncle Ruslan married his daughter and then his nephews would go and do this sus terrorist attack. Also, you know, you know, uh, Tom Tamerlan, you know, remember that article where some of his friends were quoted as saying that he used to talk about, quote, majestic mind control and that he was mm. being like mind controlled. No, I don't remember that. That's interesting. Well, yeah. Well, uh, we'll get Tamerlan into that when we do an episode. That. Yeah. We'll, yeah. We'll Tamerlan was saying that. Yeah. Uh-huh. Mm. Yeah. And uh, just, you know, also, yeah, like the, the, the Jokers. I mean, come on. Uh, his Twitter account where he was like tweeting, I think both before and after. I mean, his name isn't marathon. pronounced uh, the Jokar. It's it's just Jahar. I know. Yeah, like I mean, Jokar. that's yeah, not really. Yeah, that, I'm gonna throw that one out. Uh, let's no, not. No, know, no, no. I'm not gonna not throw go that down. shit out because yeah. it. No, it is too close. It's like too close. And the way people would pronounce it usually on American news was like the Jokar Sarnayev. Right? I mean, or Jokar, it's just like or Jokar It's just like, you know, people have names that are not. I'm just saying it's, it, there's Draculaity there. I mean, it's eerie. It's fucking eerie. It happened right after the, you know, the James Holmes, like, it's like, also not Batman spelled Joker like shooting. Jokar. It's just, you know, DZ, it, like, you know, it's it is close enough. No, it is there's close no J enough. in it. It just ends in RA. Okay. In, in, I guess in, Slavic, o, in Slavic languages, in Slavic. Yeah. Dog, in Slavic languages, a DZ is like a J sound. Yeah, that's Jokar. True. I'm looking at D-Z-H-O-K-H-A-R, which, of course, in English, transliteration probably from Cyrillic, but it's Jokar. Like, like I'm. it, it definitely sounds yeah, like well, Joker. Like, I'm just saying, you know, maybe like it means Khaled. nothing, but... It's like, it's I, like Khaled, is it, you know? So well, it's like yeah, you could say Khaled maybe a couple, a little bit it's different like ways, but yeah, it's like, close enough. Dramatically, it is absolutely like very similar it doesn't mean joker but it just phonetically it sounds that way when it gets repeated day in and day out on the news i'm just saying hmm, a little know, weird uh, there's yeah. so much later there's a weird i'm not hanging the entire weirdness of the case on that i'm just saying on top of everything else it's like they selected somebody whose name sounds like joker hmm you know like you know because i think the the assumption lying underneath all of this is that they were kind of selected or manipulated by even uncle russ said somebody must have radicalized them but you know he's not going to tell us the truth of what really happened and he probably knows a lot more so yeah that was a very weird sus yeah. um, event yeah um, i don't know i don't think that he was selected because his name like arguably he resembles i'm not saying he was selected because his name was jogar i'm just saying it's a synchronicity that's all i'm saying is that right, it's a weird right, synchronicity right, not like right. we gotta get the guy with the right name no, obviously though these guys were from a family that was connected to some cia shit so they were yeah. on the radar. That's sort of mm. that's kind of what I mean. And they were going back and forth to Dagestan and stuff like that. And I think it was mostly the older brother that was kind of taken yeah, in by he was something. The, right, he was the ringleader. But there there were some interesting correspondences between uh, Jahar and uh, the like a, a professor at. Oh like, yeah, 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 Brian Glenn Williams. Williams. Yeah, Brian uh, Glenn Williams, who I, I discovered years ago because he wrote a book. Um, when I was researching drone warfare, he wrote a book called Predators, I think in like 2010, about the U.S. military's drone program. And then he wrote a book, which I think we're going to do a whole thing on, called Inferno in Chechnya, because he is a former CIA officer and 
was uh, one of the guys who did was dropped into Afghanistan after 9-11 and has done things in various of the like the Central Asian ex-Soviet Republic. And, you know, uh, then is was a teacher, I think, at UMass Amherst in, I don't know, I think like Middle Eastern Studies and just so happened it's to be of Islamic the, history. Yes. Uh, and just so happened to be counter jihad. Very. Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. So Mr. Counterterrorist expert just so happened to be the mentor, the personal mentor of Jokar Sarnaev, <laughs> like in Amherst. And because I guess one of his teachers from Jokar's high school knew Brian Glenn Williams and was like, oh, I have this kid who's from Dagestan, you know, like basically let me refer you to him and you can teach him about his homeland of, you know, Chechnya and all that. And I know from reading in the beginning, this guy is the biggest fucking like annoying Russophobe ever that has basically kind of like in a very arrogant kind of way, it sounds like kind of gone native with like the, the the jihadi hill warriors of Chechnya and is like totally on their side and completely down for them to like launch a kind of like war to like break away from Russia. And therefore, like he kind of excuses like, you know, Chechen terrorism a little bit, uh, you know, it kind of like, like he, he speaks of that in a language of like well what what were they supposed to do but then like always talks about russians and to be fair like the well, russians you know, were very I brutal do believe like, that. the imperial I, period i will say that probably like a lot of the discourse in like the popular media around chechnya and especially in like after 9-11 in russia like is probably pretty sloppy and probably like you know they're all al-qaeda in the same, yeah, I would, I would believe that. Uh, but this, this was, book was much more even though there kind is of for sim- sure like an Al Qaeda presence. Oh, yeah, 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 there, there is, there is absolutely. You think Abu Omar al that can happen as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But the, you think about the cultivation of Chechen fighters, like we talked about previously with like Abu Omar al Shashani and like the Saudis building these like new mosques in poor areas. Of, yeah, exactly. Like, Chechnya like, and Dagestan. That's and, you know, uh, a different like kind of phenomenon yeah, where so you just, know, foreign fighters come in or, uh, you know, if you have like, yeah, there's a mosque being built, like uh, Salafism, like being promoted, uh, you know, uh, just extremism in general but yeah i don't know I yeah probably, and, and, you know the but the, the but the, okay the fact that this cia guy who you know is, you know wrote this book and is like all about the drone program and kind of like uh, almost like down with like the chechen cause a little bit uh like you can see it seep through his writing the fact that he became the personal mentor who like quote-unquote taught Jokar Sanayev, yeah. like everything there was to know about Chechnya and its history and stuff, it got him very, inter- you know, really was like a mentor relationship with him when he, I think he was 17, 18, something like that. Maybe this might have been in two, three years before the, the Boston bombing. It's just incredibly sus. It's like, it feels like a handler kind of like uh, trying to like almost like coax this kid into thinking yeah, about no, himself sure as like you come like from the- a lineage of. Yeah, I'm you know. sure that in trying to, like, teach him about, like, uh, Chechen history, like, the portrayal that he gave him was, like, you know... I mean, and I'm sure that, like, there was truth in a lot of it, like, but he certainly would encourage, like, a, a, a sense of grievance just by virtue of his specialty uh, and the nature of his work, you know? Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, this is... Uh, <laughs> yeah, history... Uh, this is some of the classes that he taught. A history of the Russian-Chechen wars... A History of America's War in Afghanistan, Islamic Terrorism from the Hashisha, uh, Medieval Assassins to ISIS. All right. 
that's pretty lame. Uh, <laughs> Interesting. Very, yeah, yeah, I'm sure that gets a lot of uh, aspiring CIA agents uh, coming into the class, but yeah uh, yeah yeah so that, between that and uncle russ and then take, but yeah and then tamerlan being visited by the fbi like every mass shooter ever like every lone wolf terrorist gets visited by the fbi and forgotten about you know and right, then yeah. there was like that weird mm-hmm. murder like his friends were all killed and then the fbi agents got like m- murdered like going to investigate one of his friends like there's just so much shady bullshit going on with the whole sarnay of narrative so it, it definitely warrants a deep ass I think. Okay, we can move on from there. Uh, Yeah. We'll circle back. Uh, You want to read number five? Yeah, sure. Matt asks, thoughts on the congressional baseball game shooting from a couple of years ago? Uh, If I recall correctly, they painted him as a Bernie supporter at the end of his rope, but the whole deal is quite sus. Uh, Hmm. Yeah, I, I remember, remember that. I, remember I mean, I feel like the, that guy the, yeah. wasn't, like, they were, you know, because that was, like, the one time that there was a mass shooter who was, like, uh, I mean, there have been a couple of times where the guy was uh, in some way associated with the left wing or could be, you know, linked to uh, having supported Democrats or something pretty, relatively actively. So I feel like the conservative media sphere was just, like, super jazzed about that. And, like, they really mm-hmm. hammered that aspect of it. Uh, they called him the Bernie Blaster. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I think it was kind of sus. I, I think though, I remember the situation being vaguely sus when it happened. I haven't really gone back to like look into it, but yeah, yeah. That was wasn't that in twenty seventeen. Uh, when was the Bernie Blaster? Um, let's see. Uh, it was Jamie Hodgkins or something, right? Or James Hodgkins' son? Congressional baseball shooting. James Thomas Hodgkinson. Yeah, it was 2017. June 14th, 2017. And it was mostly Republicans. It, it was also, it, it's yeah, also rare that somebody goes... beforehand and was like, are those Republicans or Democrats? And when he found out they were mostly Republicans, he... Actually, he was at, yeah, he approached Ron DeSantis, who was just a representative at the time, and asked him if they were Republicans or Democrats. Yeah, I mean, well, as these mass shootings go, uh, his target, you know, against Wilma Jihad does not promote any kind of violence against anybody, but, you know, just saying, like, as these targets go, uh, there's definitely degrees. Um, <laughs> but, uh... I mean, I'm, I'm, I am kind of surprised, especially with all the, the talk about, like, the big lie and 1-6 that CNN is still pounding six months later on TV every day, that, again, not endorsing anything, but, like, I'm surprised that people don't take more shots at politicians, considering how big of an impact assassinations have had in our political history that if there's all these mass shooters around they never seem to go after like powerful people they always just go after randos right mm-hmm. like most of the time i mean gabby giffords was one target but yeah can you think of really any others well and that, that guy was different this? where he was like i am the mind controller like he was a bit more like he, he didn't seem like he really was politically motivated per se. He was absolutely. He, he seemed MK. That dude seemed MK as fuck. Yeah. yeah, I am the mind controller. Was his right. his like YouTube videos and like playing let the bodies hit the floor while he like set American flag on fire like in the desert. Those YouTube videos are so weird. Yeah, I remember watching them 
That was what we were doing back in 20, uh, whenever that happened. Was that 2017 as well? I feel like it was around the same time, but yeah. Uh, Which one? Uh, Gabby. Oh no, that was 2011. No, no, yeah, no it was like 2011. Yeah, that was a long yeah. time ago. Yeah, that was way yeah, before the Bernie uh, Blaster incident. I felt like they were around the same time, but I guess they were just similar, so I was conflating them in my mind. But I remember like the day of like watching the mind controller videos in your old yep. apartment. Uh, I, I remember it too. <laughs> Yeah. Oh God. Um, yeah. I wonder if there's are still up somewhere. Um, actually, this guy, this shooter though, was a volunteer on Bernie's campaign, and yeah, Bernie had to go to the, the Senate Blaster. floor and and say he was sickened by this despicable act. You yeah. know. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah. So a real change can only come about through nonviolent action, and anything else runs counter to our most deeply held American values. Uh, yeah. Just like, again, like not advocating like let's all go weather underground, but just like do, do we have to say it like that? Like that, like the Gandhi way is the only yes. way we will never use violence, even though the other side is clearly has used violence all throughout history to monopolize the fur trade and steal like shipping routes and do everything else and steal all the land like and build the Pentagon like. At one point, can we stop, like, fetishizing, like, just just because some crazy guy who volunteered in your campaign went psycho, uh, We do we have to say that, like, violent resistance to, like, I don't know, evil Republicans is, again, not saying, because these guys are just, they're just puppets, really. I mean, all these Republicans, like, they're not really, <coughs> they're replaceable mm-hmm. for the most part. But yeah, yeah, maybe that's still, uh, maybe that's part of our uh, imperialism uh, is that we are, or at least I am always uh, just taking a, a you know making the effort to disavow uh, violence. But uh, you know, might be yeah, you know, uh, just you know, given that we're subliminal jihad, just to clarify that we only support the subliminal jihad, we don't support the uh, yes uh, the violent jihad. Uh, well, I don't. I don't support. Adv- I don't support adventurism. Okay, you know, I don't. No. I don't support reckless adventurism. That's really yes. where it comes from for me, and that's like the mm-hmm. main reason. Yes. It, it's not productive in this context, like at this point, to like do propaganda of the deed and be like a social revolutionary and run around. It's like when. You know, the Russian Revolution happened. The SRs like kept wanting to be like, let's just go like like shoot people. <laughs> like I don't know. Like they're, you know, and Lenin was like, yo, chill out. You're kind of doing an infantile disorder right now. Um, you know, and people got mad, and then an anarchist or an SR went and shot him. Um, you know, and it's just whatever. I don't know. Yes, in American uh, history, no, I, I, uh, I'm actually I I'm so that, uh, jihad is fired upon the community of Muslims in, in uh, the West or, uh, you know, at, at this point, uh, <laughs> it is, is not is not fired. So, uh, yeah, mm-hmm. it's not fired yeah, I don't know. Yeah, just weird shit. And um, I'm also like, yeah. consp- I'm, I'm getting assass- I'm getting presidential assassination pilled now to the point where I believe that probably almost every single assassination had like some group behind it. It wasn't just like oh, I'm a lone nut. Mm. Like mm-hmm. I'd say like that probably the majority had something behind it. Like Lincoln, we'll get to him one day. Uh, but I think Andrew Garfield, through, like, all these mm, potential assassins, not Andrew Garfield, uh, or uh, all well, yeah. these past assassins. Uh, yeah, we need we need to go we need to go yeah, through the fine. I mean, I really want to do the Lincoln assassination because there's all sorts of sus things there that I've 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 come across like doing research for the podcast and things. So, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, Um, Okay, mm -hmm. so we can um, want to do one more and then take one more break. Oh, Elsa. Yeah, sure. I feel like we didn't quite illuminate the Bernie. I don't really know too much. I mean, this guy seemed like 
yeah, I guess maybe he seemed a little bit too normal. Uh, that was maybe what was odd about him, uh, that he seemed like to have it a bit too together. He wasn't talking about how he was the Bernie Blaster, but I don't really know. Do, like, is there anything, you know, more to him that you came across? Uh, There's that was, like, not really... I mean, it was definitely politically instrumentalized, it... but I just feel like they would do that with any like anything where there's, like, any possible way to make a connection to, like, the Antifa or to the Democrats or whatever. They're going to run with it as hard as possible. So, you know... Yeah, I don't know if and I mean, this, on, on this guy feels... Uh, like just out of place like he had like a long kind of police record domestic violence record and like was like almost would have been ineligible to buy firearms uh, because of a domestic battery charge but the victim refused to testify so it was drawn he yeah, I guess, and you know, he, I don't know, he's 66 years old. He was living in a van in Alexandria. His home inspection business had, I guess, kind of failed by that time and went to the YMCA a lot. He was running out of money, unemployed at the time of the event, looking for some local employment. He was married for 30 years and it appears that marriage was not going very well. It was just a pattern of life where you could tell things were not going very well. And then he was volunteered for the Bernie campaign in 2016 and was desc- and he was in Iowa and was described by a fellow campaigner as quiet guy, very mellow, very reserved. And he wrote 27 letters to the editor of the Belleville News Democrat between 2008 and 2012 on various political and economic topics, many of which were anti-Republican. On May 22nd, he wrote uh, on change.org, Trump is a traitor. Trump has destroyed our democracy. It's time to destroy Trump and co. And, uh, yeah, he was just on Facebook groups called, like, Terminate the Republican Party, <laughs> The Road to Hell is Paved with Republicans, and Donald Trump is not my president. And <laughs> it's very weird. Like, he found, like, a list of names of congressmen, like, in his pocket. I mean, they also shot him dead. So, you know, it was, it was one of those. And But they said that the list that he had in his pocket... No, they found it in an Alexander storage locker rented to Hodgkinson, and... The FBI agent Timothy Slater said it did not appear to be a hit list and that its significance was unclear. Huh. Okay. So he just had a weird list that wasn't related to the people he went and shot. What was it a list and of? I don't other Congress people. Groceries? I guess. Uh, <laughs> no, it had it was a list of congressmen, but they said, right. Oh, it wasn't like a hit list or anything. Interesting. Very weird. Very weird. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so they that just kind of never released a lot of information about him. It kind of sounds like he wasn't that crazy he was just like a boomer kind of liberal who was kind of on hard wow, economic he times he, 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 was, he was falling down he he was know, falling he, down he snapped he went postal yeah uh, it he, is a kind of like like that like that movie from the early 90s it is a kind of a, a, like a boomer generation kind of way to go i don't know do a, a like a snapped going postal mass shooting kind of thing yeah like i don't know but he was, yeah, it didn't he was taxi driver Maybe he, maybe there was something in all that like hysterical liberal kind of Trump is a traitor Facebook group stuff that kind of like Joker poker just it, it got it caught mean, him I in guess, a vulnerable like, state. I guess the natural conclusion almost would be. I mean, Chomsky. I mean, Chomsky said Trump is the greatest criminal in history. He's worse than Hitler. I mean, would you kill Hitler if you could? Of course. Right. Yeah. 
He's he's literally Hitler. So why isn't somebody trying to you know like yeah? It it, it is kind of funny because I remember that era and I remember the hot like just like the the piping hot rhetoric of he's literally Hitler and like we need to do something. But then it's like, isn't it yeah, inevitable that saying, one like, why didn't unhinged person try to kill Trump? You know, I guess because they were just afraid of the consequences. Maybe yeah, it's odd because. Yeah, it's weird because the the rhetoric of like, you know, if you ever wondered what you would be doing during World War II, like now it's time to find out. And yet no one like killed Hitler or I guess people said during the civil rights movement. But at the same time, you know, there was a lot of like Trump is Hitler comparisons, you know, a fascist isn't running. It's a fascist. (laughs) You know, uh, fucking fascist. Yeah, so I feel like you know we can talk about it later. So like, why not like try to you know assassinate? Like that level of emotion should have been like, it's how you assassinate him. Why don't you fuck? Like you know, basically like you're calling you. uh, What else? Yeah, we can talk about him after he's assassinated. Yeah. Yeah. So I I don't. It feels like uh, committing murder, but he's a fascist. I don't want to yeah, say so you use that from, logic. You know, totally I don't want to send the president uh, from you know the roof of the Capitol, but uh, he's a fascist. You know, uh, but, you know, I don't yeah, want to blow yeah. someone's brains out. You know, uh, I believe in uh, you know uh, moral principles. I, I think killing is wrong, but uh, you know maybe we can talk about it when he's not off. Uh, sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, anyway, yeah. Oh yes, yeah. I love. Oh, twenty twenty. Uh, yeah. Beautiful year. Um, um, Okay. But no, yeah, you know it makes what? sense. I mean, yeah, it makes yeah. the same way that like you know you have QAnon people going to like rescue the children from like you know a boat or whatever. Uh, it would make sense. Yeah, that so there would be- there's going to be a, at least a handful of kind of vulnerable people out there that are going to kind of take it literally. So maybe that does suggest like a certain uh, there is a, some kind of divide maybe that we can still suss out between like these really brainwashed libs and these really brainwashed. Republicans because uh, they do like the Republicans seem actually like a bit more sincere or like committed to their beliefs whereas the libs maybe they have like a level of cynicism or like venal self-interest where they won't like go all the way with it or like put their money where their mouth is in a certain way some maybe perhaps will uh, like James Hodgkinson uh, but yeah but they'll get very mad at you if you ever bring that up yeah like they want to be hypothetically willing to assassinate Trump themselves, but they also don't want to admit it because he is POTUS after all. Yeah. You got to respect POTUS. Yeah. You got to respect the office and, you know, we trust the people around him, you know, like we trust Mattis, we trust McMaster, you know, those people. Yeah. They will. Jeff Sessions. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Trust, trust, trust. That, yeah. That <laughs> trust is one, that is one common ground between. Yeah. Trust yeah. Wow. <laughs> they say a half a million people watch the Boston Marathon here in New England. decide who's running this and we have to decide quickly it's terrorism we'll take it and let's get an evidence grid started right over there clock is ticking the world is watching 
The suspect seen on the surveillance cameras. Two bombers. We gotta find these guys before they do this to someone else. We can't have our citizens on the streets with all these threats. Every inch of this city is getting searched. We're shutting it down. A taxi picked up a guy matching White Hat's description. Could be he's on his way to New York. Are there more bombs? Are there more bombs? I want a lawyer. No. No? I have rights. You ain't got shit, sweetheart. today good versus evil love versus hate it's only one weapon you have to fight back with it's love wrap our arms around each other i don't think there's any way that they can ever win all right we're back so we have Question six now. Is this me or you? I think it's you, right? Yeah, I read uh-huh. one from Matt. Matt, that's right. Okay, yeah. so The Hague ICC asks, I haven't listened to all the Q&A apps yet, so I don't know if this has been covered, but I don't really see any discussion in the grotto, but what the fuck was up with Elsagate? This is one of the strangest internet phenomenon I've ever seen, and it's really hard for me to explain how all these videos get made and promoted just as some prank or art project. It feels to me like it has to be some kind of predictive programming thing, but I have no idea. I feel like we're really in for something dark when the generation of children who were four to six during the peak Elsagate years finally start getting old enough to do something real yikes hmm. uh did, yeah, i forget I, did mm-hmm. did we discuss elsagate on a previous q a no i don't think that we ever have i mean we probably brought up elsagate before on the show uh but i don't think we ever actually discussed it on the q a episode but i yeah no we definitely didn't but the yeah i think that the like more conventional explanation the sort of the not predictive program explanation for elsagate would be that you know, they're like these, uh, like, sort of uh, operations, like maybe outside the United States or something that sort of use like SEO bots or whatever to make these very cheap videos almost. I think that, that like, from my own viewing of Elsagate videos, which I have done like a fair amount of, like, I think yeah. that, uh, Dimitri, you have as well from like oh, when yeah. this was first blowing up, like, they seem to almost be algorithmically generated like that there is some seo component to it like that the scenarios are like somehow automate uh, automatically generated so i think yeah. that like there's like the sort of cheap animation process that is done maybe that's not like by a machine but like by you know actual like animators like very cheaply and very quickly uh just mm-hmm. to like glut youtube with these videos featuring these popular characters so that when kids are watching you know frozen or joker or spider-man videos then the algorithm will like hook them onto this and just play these elsa gate videos that they'll then profit from i feel like that would be yeah like the base level conventional explanation for it like is there some like sus weird predictive programming aspect to it maybe because they are like quite horrifying and like the effect that they have is very maddening like the music that is played and like the scenarios are just like weird like in a way it is maybe like you know uh 
some of it is like stuff you might come up with like if you were playing with action figures and like you're a kid but some of it is just like weird you know like uh yeah like it, some of it's it, like it, uh, it, I, I think elsa the, cuts the, up spider-man's fingers like elsa has a brain belly you know or like stuff like yeah you know like yeah uh, exactly spider-man like really buries creepy. elsa's head like annabelle pushes elsa off building <laughs> like uh things like yeah, you know, yeah. like yeah exactly um and i i think there are levels to elsa gate where i think that that kind of algorithm chasing thing is one aspect of it but you know there's a very popular medium article i think it might have been titled we need to talk about elsa gate (laughs) this is from 2018 and that's what kind of kicked this whole thing off so if anybody wants to really do like the dive that is a good place to start because that that kicked off this craze and it did it freaked the shit out of a lot of people and so there were these kind of just almost like like ai generated cartoons that were super shitty they usually would go on for a really long time like some of these videos were like 20 hours long or something that you would get that the algorithm would feed you and they were like tailor made to be offered up on youtube kids like you said after they watched a spider-man or an elsa video and it was always these big comic book characters and I mean, that there's a lot of weird levels to that. One thing I I did find odd was that given how vigilant some copyright holders in the the entertainment, you know, industry are about taking down videos or demonetizing videos that use copyrighted imagery or music, that for some reason these videos don't trigger the Disney, you know, infringement you know thing Mm -hmm. which is weird you know so it's like they're allowed to exist and even profit on youtube kids of all places with these just bizarre videos but then you're right there there is this aspect where then some of the videos seem like they're not so algorithmically generated they seem sadistically generated because they have these weird creepy things that happen and you know that's a whole nother level of basically yeah like this kind of dissonant vaguely upsetting but often in a way that's kind of like if you're a parent and you're busy and like you hand your child your toddler an ipad or they're like watching on like the tv monitor and you're kind of like you're listening to like the din 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 like this is a creepy jingle yeah. like twinkle right. twinkle little star or something mm-hmm. like you might not actually be like paying close attention and seeing that like Elsa is getting like kidnapped and sold into sex slavery, which I think that was actually like a video where like the Joker kidnaps Elsa and makes her into a stripper or something. There's a lot of kidnapping. Makes her I don't know about makes her into a stripper. I feel it was something like like that. Like she becomes he makes him his slave or something like that. Yeah. Like he sells her into slavery. Exactly. Yeah. Something like not quite like where yeah, it's more abstract. You know, there there wasn't anything I feel like in the videos that I watched that was like you know genuinely distinctly adult you know because like there can be slaves in like disney movies you know like you can have like a slave like uh you know it was stuff like it you know in aladdin like jafar basically like enslaves the sultan you know <laughs> or something like that mm-hmm. you know like they're trying to think what are the disney movies like have slaves like little slaves i mean there's macabre the shit in disney movies for sure but this is on yeah, a whole new like, level there's even subliminal stuff in disney movies like that we talked about in the very first episode like the sex thing and lion king and like the boner priest and yeah there's a third layer though and that's the live action elsa gate videos mm-hmm. and that those are a little different category because these are real people 
dressing up in Spider-Man and Elsa costumes yeah. and like running around. They it never usually speak. looks like they just sort of act and similar to the Elsa game video. It's, it's like a dumb show, basically. Right? They all kind of make sounds like the, the, the gobbledygooker. Like they all just mm-hmm. like Spider-Man just goes like, like all the right, time. It's very yeah. creepy. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, kind of gesticulates like, yeah, they do. It's all, it's all comedia dell'arte, like, you know, physical comedy. But even those, you know, and they seem to be acted by kind of like young adults, and they're usually in some kind of weird generic suburb that has got to be like Orange County or Florida, I'm guessing. Th- mm-hmm. That's what I've always pegged it as, but like very cookie cutter, kind of a suburban area. It's like they have a house out somewhere, and they're just shooting like videos all day. Of it's like a weird kind of TikTok house sort of thing, kind of vibe. But like it's not designed to be cool. It it has the vibe of the houses that they rent for like you know porn and stuff. You know, like an empty, like, McMansion, mm-hmm. like, in the suburbs yeah. or something like that. Right. It, it's got that kind of weird vibe to it. And they, yeah, the, I remember one where, like, the Joker is running around in the streets of this, like, suburban street with, like, an AK-47, like, shooting at, like, Elsa and Spider-Man. And then, like, the Hulk, like, runs him over in his car or something. And it's all done, you know, very comically. But it's just, like, weird. And that, you know, we know that that's not created by an algorithm because these are real people acting in it. And I, I can't remember if there are children in those videos. But I think there are other videos, too, that maybe aren't necessarily, like, with superheroes or whatever. Isn't there a whole I mean, genre I of, like, toy unboxing? I can still see some of this stuff. Uh, like, I can still see some... Like, Spider-Man cuts Elsa's hair with fairy, Captain America, Joker, fun superhero in real life. I remember, actually, some of these videos, like, being the original stuff. Yeah, like, uh, you know... They're still on YouTube? Yeah, uh... Spider-Man what did you type? Did you type Elsa game? Up. Uh, I, sh- I tried to find the video of the Joker shooting at Elsa and Spider-Man. So I typed Joker shooting at Elsa and Spider-Man. Uh, yeah. And I found not that video, but a bunch of stuff. Uh, and Elsa there, there's also evil, pink Spider-Girl, Joker, superhero, fun in real life. That's another thing about this is that, like, there's a whole separate character of, like, orange Spider-Man, mm-hmm. who is, like, not to be confused with normal Spider-Man, but he's orange Spider-Man. Uh, is he evil, or...? No, he's just orange Spider-Man, you know? It doesn't, you know, there's nothing in particular about him, other than him being orange Spider-Man. You know, like, they just, like, do these weird scenarios, so I feel like... You know, there's and yeah, there's a lot of different like subcategories. You can still find one version of it that is kind of creepy, and it's called Finger Family. Oh yeah, and I believe yeah that that one has a very creepy hypnotic kind of vibe to it, where I think it's like the everyone in the family is like a finger, and it's like a nursery rhyme song. But I'm just like I typed it in right now, maybe because it didn't get as much flack as you know the Elsa like, videos. But if you mm-hmm. just look at Finger Family, it's like weird, yeah, yeah, Daddy Finger, Daddy Finger, Nursery Rhymes, Finger Family, Coco Chameleon, uh, 35 minute, like a lot of like you know half hour finger, and then a lot of these have like real hosts that are like middle aged dudes that are like mm-hmm. I don't know they host channels where they sing Finger Family Nursery Rhymes, and then there's a lot of digital versions that. You know, learning colors with baby fun play game, learn colors for children. A lot of these are geared towards, like, they're educational kind of games for, like, it's good to put your child in front of this game because it'll teach them, like, colors and shapes and things like that. But the vibe of so many of them is with these weird kind of cartoon characters and the repetitious, like, hypnotic aspect of it. 
is very weird. And oh yeah, I see one here. Like Keisha play filling water and balloons. Daddy finger nursery rhymes. Learn colors with balloons. Oh, and Peppa Pig. That's another one that comes up a lot. Is like bootleg Peppa Pig cart like videos on YouTube that take these sadistic turns. That and and you know I think even Vigilant Citizen himself, you know, has focused on Peppa Pig before, even before Elsa Gate, as having these weird MK vibes. Like even the actual cartoon, and then all this whole genre of like bootleg. Peppa Pig, because the animation's so shitty, anybody can kind of do it, and a lot of those involve, yeah, like, Peppa, Peppa Pig, Pig gets, like, an in the original Elsa Gate, that they were, like, Peppa Pig horror parodies or something that people were seeing, and, like, they were, like, grotesque in some way. Yeah. Uh, and also, like, a lot of it was, like, Peppa Pig getting injections that were, like, painful, and that's actually something, there's all, there's, like, recap videos on YouTube today of, like, what's with all the injections, and that's something you see in, like, Elsa Spidey videos, in Peppa Pig, in, like, every genre of this Elsa Gate shit, you see a lot of, like, kids getting injections, and, like, oh my god, like, were they predictive programming for, like, six-year-olds to get the vaccines? Uh, I don't know, but, uh, like, or just, I don't know. Well, yeah, and that I feel like, again, like, that I feel like it's kind of, like, I almost feel like, again, obviously these videos, like, I don't even think the animated videos are truly, like, a computer can make them on its own i think that Maybe someone not. must You're be right. either animating them and obviously someone's acting in them or like kind of directing them but i i feel like maybe the scenarios like are and not to say that that isn't equally pernicious because like it's like the dregs of our like toxic culture that are like producing these scenarios like these are things that i don't know in a way it's like the detritus of like a child's like experience and like their nightmares almost uh yeah, some of these videos, like, uh, just scrolling through YouTube right now, you can sort of still see, like, they're on these channels that often don't have any other videos on them, but I really do think that they are, like, the initial videos, and they're still creepy, uh, and some of them have, yeah. like, inappropriate warnings on them, but, you know, yeah, they, like, uh, they don't have, like, the, it doesn't seem to be the same amount, it does seem like there has been some kind of crackdown on them, but, like, uh, they're dispersed over these individual accounts, and, uh, they do still exist. Yeah. Yeah, there's and one, there, there's still these like frozen compilations. It's just like a whole playlist. Yeah, them. and some of these videos were like at the top of the kind of hit list of like the most watched things on YouTube. Like I think yeah. in 2018 was that was another thing they discovered is like so much of, of so many clicks and who knows is it like bots or something like that. But it, it I was think like it must inc- be they must be doing some kind of thing to drive up the traffic as well. And like, yeah, some kind of SEO. That that's kind of the creepy vibe is that yeah. these people I'm just looking at like the, the terrified like soy face of like this account Steve and Maggie in the sidebar here, like where I guess I don't know, it's like a mummy and like a robot and like just his face, like like eh like into the camera and like it, it's the kind of format where people will there's like no level to which people won't go of just like like awful like producing like weird awful crap like i did i don't know what to make of all these grown men doing like children's nursery rhyme like spam channels or whatever like i'm looking at another one t town that has 2.5 million subscribers they have a song that is an hour and eight minutes long a video scary songs for kids the missing face funny finger family song for children t town and it's like basically there's like a witch and she's brewing a cauldron right now and i think I don't know if it's, like, the same song on loop, but it's, like, d- a demonic face with, like, skeletons dancing around it with, like, psychedelic eyes glowing at you. It's, um, 
let me just like let me just give it to you real quick uh so you can uh in discord so you can see what i'm looking at because oh and one one of them is dressed up as spider-man one of the little kid cartoon characters is like in a spider-man costume this is this literally demonic long. why is this an a- yeah the other thing about this is this this is like an hour long yes oh i remember this exact song they're like reusing the song too because i've heard this like you know, the, like, witches' eyes, witches' eyes, where are you? I've heard this exact song Go to Go to 26 minutes in and just listen to it for a second. All right, I'm going to 26 minutes. Let's see. Here I am. Here I am. How do you do? <laughs> and, like, dancing Grateful Dead skeletons. No. It's a kid basically in, yeah, wearing, like, a <laughs> Spider-Man outfit. They keep saying, where are you? And then the skull demon pops up. And I'm getting and like, with like a psychedelic like, eye. Of like, blue skeleton. Blue <laughs> skeleton. What is this is like about? playing the Finger Family game, but with like finding demons in a haunted house. Yeah. And I mean, like, you know, that's not like this isn't like inappropriate for kids necessarily. Like, yeah, it has like it's Halloween, which is, you know, we could go full uh vintage satanic panic mode and like you know talk about the sussness of halloween but maybe that's like a different time like obviously people there are people who are like averse to the whole celebration of halloween because of like the way that it encourages like you know yeah, uh, yeah. favored a favorable but attitude I, toward I, the occult and things like that i mean but in the general culture like things like this just aren't considered to be appropriate inappropriate for children because this is like spooky halloween fun you know, like, uh, yeah, it's spooky Halloween fun. But when you're when I'm looking at like a, a screen grab of like Spider-Man with a pregnant belly standing next to Elsa, who is like tied to a tree with like a rag around her mouth, looking scared. <laughs> like, yeah, it's going on. You know um, what I mean? Yeah. Well, that's not in this like scary song. For kids no, it's not in that one. I'm, I'm just going yeah. down the list again. At like a, yeah, yeah, I guess yeah. No, this is a live like action some- one. Right. There's some weird there's some really like weird scenarios, you know, but I mean, like, again, like you see that kind of stuff like in Looney Tunes, almost like with like people being tied to the train tracks or stuff like, you know, like there's all right. This, like, Ain't nothing new under the sun. What's up yeah, with cartoons, by the way? What, yeah, what's up I mean, with car? Yeah. Just in general. What's up with. Uh, yeah. We, it's all. We, I mean, we I mean, thought well, we talked about Mickey Mouse. So influenced by Mickey Mouse. You know, the scary songs for kids stuff is very similar. Like some of the earliest cartoons that Walt Disney made. Where like the you know the skeleton dance the famous skeleton dance that was almost considered to be too scary oh for kids at one point Wait, right like like a dancing Grateful Dead skeleton yeah true um silly they really bu- didn't dance. Mm, interesting 19, Walt Disney primed everybody in childhood yeah. and then when they were like twenty one like come go to the Grateful Dead show and then you see a dancing skeleton it reminds you well I mean that goes back to the medieval idea of the dance macabre right which is like a famous thing like the dancing skeletons that's like an old medieval iconographic trope but Mm. yeah one of uh, one of Walt Disney's like earliest cartoons was this dancing skeletons I wonder if it was before or after like he got famous with Mickey Mouse but either way like it was a big famous silly symphonies thing Uh, and I think that it was even like I, I remember reading somewhere that it was considered to be too scary or something or that it was oh yeah the new york times reported that the film had abandoned denmark for being too macabre that's interesting if you you probably have seen this like you know in like halloween compilations or things like that but anyway so yeah that's very uh 
you know, similar in its its motif uh, to this. So, you know, yeah, there is, like, a lot of sub stuff around cartoons. And, like, that whole thing is, like, hours long. It's just to keep, like, it's you know, I mean, it's just to have kids, like, in front of this for hours, because hours of content, so, like, it never ends. It never has to skip to the next video. You yeah. never have to step away from whatever you're doing to, like, check in with your kid, and, like, even to change their video, you know, which is just, like, yeah. really... Yeah, it's it's which is we very, used to very talk bleak, about, you know, people yeah. used to talk about, you know, kids being raised by the television. And now this is like such an accelerated version of that. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. you know, like one one critical video on here talking about Elsagate, you know, says replacing early cognitive development with conditioning. And that is kind of what it feels like. It's just it's like these conditioning videos and like and we're not saying it's like yeah. necessarily like predictive programming to make them satanic or something like that. But, but I mean, it, does, it could you could do could like that's be. the thing. I think that the reason why, you know, in addition to the videos just being like disturbing and unsettling in a way where like I think that it could definitely lead to, you know, kids having nightmares or just like generally like having weird notions or things like that you know uh i don't think that these are like well composed or like promote like good values they're just like these weird psychedelic detritus you know that often don't have like a coherent idea behind them and they're just like feeding back like the dregs of like internet searches or or whatever uh or like maybe even other kids videos or something like that like back you know into some kind of algorithm like that's still like not necessarily healthy but i think that people are realizing like when they see this stuff and like how bizarre it is i think that part of the reason why people react with such you know so strongly is because they realize like wow you know my kids could be exposed to anything you know something that i was thinking about i mentioned to you uh earlier during one of the breaks uh is the momo challenge which was sort of a similar thing like i think that there maybe was a little bit less to that than this but i guess did you not hear about the momo challenge like when it was a thing i I did not i did not the momo challenge is kind of similar did you ever hear about the blue whale challenge uh, no. Yeah. Well, the Momo challenge basically and the Blue Whale challenge were similar things. Uh, the Momo challenge is more uh, adjacent to this, where the idea was that kids basically would come across a video of this uh, like horrifying bird, uh, humanoid, twisted statue. Like if you Google Momo, probably it is what will come up. Uh, if you go Google image search Momo, you'll see momo yeah at least that's what i see it's it's like this weird like sort of creepy statue that some sculptor made but the statue was associated with this video i guess that people believed uh or maybe perhaps was in in some form you know whether or not uh i think once the idea got out there whether the original idea was just like a spooky story or whatever i'm sure people did actually make videos this effect but the idea was that you know kids would be like on kids youtube or whatever and this video featuring this this entity or this like horrifying statue would pop up that would basically command them to do like violent acts like to hurt themselves or others uh and like threaten them like with you know and say like oh you know if you don't do this like momo's gonna come get you you know just wow. like press your wrist press the razor on your wrist until like r- the red stuff comes out you know <laughs> just like this is things very like that. yeah this is I, I guess i don't know if you oh momo oh i i remember momo okay the creepy the creepy like bird girl kind of face yeah. thing Yes, right, I right. remember this. Yeah, I, I see here from 2019, I guess, that the Momo Challenge started appearing in Fortnite and Peppa Pig YouTube Kids videos, parents warned. As you can imagine, this is highly distressing for the children to view. So I guess, yeah, it's been slipping into these, like, bootleg Peppa Pig videos that we were talking about. 
I mean, that that's very wild that, you know, you have like a YouTube kids video and then this image just pops up and probably yeah. just scares the shit out of small children who see it. A lot of the stuff I'm saying is that like it's a hoax, but, you know, I'm sure that like even I'm certain that once the idea got out there, people like actually created these videos, whether and like even if the original video was like, the original idea of the Momo challenge, like a creepy pasta or like a, a yeah. myth then like there were real Momo videos that people made. Uh, and I'm not even necessarily, I don't necessarily think it's true. I, I feel like maybe it probably was based on something and there are like equivalents out there, you know, uh, even like whether they feature Momo or not, I'm sure there is like stuff that people, cause people are sick. You know, I'm seeing in I the mean, Atlantic, the Momo challenge is not real. Momo is not trying to kill children. Just caping for Momo. Basically. Yeah, exactly. Why are you caping for Momo? Stop. Unlike, uh, I read the other, the blue whale one was a similar panic that spread in Russia in, I think, yeah. 2016 that basically, that was, yeah, it starts contacting right. you and then eventually, like, leads you through these, escal- it's basically an ARG that leads you to the, the final stage is, like, them telling you to kill yourself. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And but I, I'm seeing here in the Momo Challenge, like Wikipedia, that there are actually deaths associated with it, and a lot of other countries. Uh, the Philippines uh, issued warnings to parents to be vigilant of their children's online activity after an 11-year-old boy died from a parent suicide by drug overdose, linking the incident to the viral challenge. Uh, although there was no official. Uh, confirmation in France, a group at the State Department was reviewing the situation daily in late July 2018. That's weird. A complaint was filed in November by a father whose son committed suicide. In Germany, the police were only aware of mentions made in chain letters. They're asking the population to act prudently when faced with that kind of cell phone contact. Um, the Luxembourg police confirmed one case in its territory, but no harm was caused. The Belgian prosecutor's office reported in 2018 that a 13-year-old boy had been the victim of the Momo Challenge and hung himself. Spain's national police warned people to stay away from wow. new challenge applications that pop so, up on WhatsApp. Well, yeah, did, did that happen? Was he really a victim? Because, you know, I'm reading this kind of uh, triggering uh, Atlantic article right here that's uh, <laughs> telling me that Momo Uh-oh. is not real and that it's actually dangerous uh to perpetuate the idea that momo is real really uh yes interesting um yes uh benjamin radford a folklorist and research fellow at the committee for skeptic inquiry uh (sighs) said these trends are part of a moral panic fueled by parents fears and wanting to know what their kids are up to but i mean even if that were true like would that moral panic be unjustified like i mean even if there weren't really everyone just made up momo like if that got a parent to be like more vigilant about what their kid was watching on YouTube, I feel like that wouldn't be so bad. You know, if they were like I, I, unjustifiably afraid of a made up Momo, which, you know, it's, if it's that really, were true, you know, yes. would that be so bad? Would that be dangerous? I don't think so. But that's like what they're seeing is say, like uh, this whole Momo is making kids commit suicide. The digital version of playing Beatles records backwards to hear satanic messages, says Ben Collins, a journalist who covers misinformation. Uh, maybe it, it is. And maybe that's why you should take it seriously. Stuff. <laughs> it, it, says it does a real disservice to all the harmful stuff targeting children and teens on YouTube. Um, okay, so I don't understand, like, the idea that there's all this harmful stuff targeting children and teens on YouTube, but, like, it's the equivalent of, like, you know, for one, uh, the Beatles do have all these static messages uh, hidden backwards. No, but, uh, yes. but I'm just saying, like, you know, ob- to say, like, oh, this is outlandish, but there is a bunch of horrible stuff targeting kids and teens on YouTube. Like, well, I mean, I feel like it's not totally outlandish then. Like, Well, 
you know, these are these are the same people that probably think that like their QAnon ants should be forcibly medicated with like Thorazine and like locked in like a reeducation camp or something because like they got brainwashed by like Trump online or brainwashed by Q. Like they have an easy time understanding it in that. It's context, so weird how they like for some reason Momo. Yeah, well, they, like, go through... Yeah, it almost makes me believe in Momo, because they're, like, going through the weird motions of skepticism, but even at the end of this article, they're saying, like, uh, you know, YouTube... Like, what many parents miss is that the platforms themselves often perpetuate harm. Their automated moderation systems fail to flag inappropriate content. Their skewed content recommendation algorithms promote extremist beliefs. They don't protect kids against cyberbullying from peers. They milk kids under the age of 13 for money and engagement. And they promote truly gruesome content. And then there's a link to, like, a wide article saying children's YouTube is still churning out blood, suicide, and cannibalism. So if you're linking to an article that says that, how is, like, you know, the idea of Momo so ridiculous and, and like, a moral panic and horrible? Um, I don't understand why they don't want to take it seriously. It's bizarre. I don't know. I mean, well, it's weird it's because... cyberbullying, almost- isn't it? Like a version of it? Well, even if there weren't, like, you know, any... I'd be interested to, like, to investigate the actual Momo suicide, but that did happen uh, according to, to what you found. But, I mean, it's almost like it's not real until it is in a way. Because, I mean, Slenderman is something that I think was really unequivocally, like, not real. Like, you would think... Yeah. Like, I think most people, up to a point, were on board with the fact that Slenderman was, like, spooky fun. It wasn't real. But then there was that Slenderman murder. Yeah. You know, so... Just saying, the divide between like you know real and fake is more porous than than people think. It's yeah, exactly. And you know, just to back up that yeah, anybody who's trying to like vox explain away this phenomenon for the blue whale thing in Russia, they actually arrested two people. Who actually no, three people. Three people were arrested. I don't think they were connected, but. Just listen to this. Like in 2016, Philip Dakin, a 21-year-old former psychology student who was expelled from his university, claimed that he invented the game in 2013. He said his intention was to cleanse society by pushing persons to suicide whom he deemed as having no value. Although originally claiming innocence and stating he was, quote, just having fun, Budakin was arrested and held in Cresty Prison, St. Petersburg, and in May 2016 pled guilty to inciting at least 16 teenage girls to commit suicide. He was later convicted on two counts of inciting suicide of a minor. And then in June June 2017, postman Ilya Sidorov was arrested in Moscow, uh, also accused of setting up a blue whale group to encourage children to self-harm and ultimately commit suicide. He claimed to have persuaded 32 children to join his group and follow commands. And in June 2018, Russian financial analyst Nikita Niranov was arrested for allegedly masterminding the blue whale game. Niranov is suspected of grooming 10 underage girls in order to bring them to suicide, two of which, age 14 and 17, are known to have survived. So I guess... Eight died. As a financial analyst, Niranov has been described as a very smart computer expert who held a large amount of contempt for teenagers, believing that they were, quote, wicked and deserved to die. Police reports claim that Niranov's involvement in the Blue Well game was his, quote, hobby. It, it does say that commentators such as Benjamin Radford have pointed out that sensationalized stories in world news regarding the involvement of Budakin, the first guy, have all linked back to just two Russian sources, with tabloid news outlets replicating the same information without elaboration. But then they arrested two other people, and yeah, like I'm seeing in like the Times and in, let's see, an article in the Evening Standard, 
that, yeah, Financial Analyst 22 held over masterminding Blue Whale web game that pushes teens to suicide. So, you know, also it's kind of like if there's like young incels running around doing like mass shootings all the time, like why wouldn't there also be young psychos online doing this? for like sadistic thrills like yeah. why is it ontologically unacceptable that there's a yeah Momo it's weird they, game it's happening like this, exactly there's like this weird reflex where they have to like just repeat this script even though like all the elements of it they acknowledge it's yeah very strange and it just perpetuates belief in momo <laughs> it's making yeah, yeah. uh me believe believe in momo uh momo's a gin no uh, anyway but all these videos yeah. are full of gin they're full of fucking gin they're incredibly sus do not let your child autoplay youtube kids ever yeah don't let your child play <laughs> autoplay youtube kid just pay attention to your kid i mean again like we're not parents but you know we are dog parents uh we both have dogs and i feel like i constantly yeah. have to pay attention to my, what my dog is doing and it can't even use the internet which is like the most dangerous thing in the world and just exactly is the most toxic and poisonous thing ever. You know, yeah, I was thinking the other day, did you ever come across that guy, Hank Yu, like the Asian Nazi guy who like, or the Asian like uh, wannabe, like Confederate guy who like- uh, uh, Kinda, yeah, he became yeah. a meme kinda, right? Yeah, I was just thinking the other day about how like before the internet, like, you know, we'd never have to know about the existence of that guy. Like most people would just never like come across that or like, you know, uh, encounter it. And he would have never existed either. Like, you know, they're like, right. a, he You're probably right. would not yeah. have become a Nazi like Confederate uh, maniac. And also, even if by some happenstance he did, we wouldn't have to know about him. Yeah. But, yeah. But now we do, um, and YouTube just has, you know, just keeps serving it up again and again. Yeah, it's the internet is extremely, sure. uh, you probably should have a moral panic about it. You know, like, I mean, what point is it okay to panic? Obviously, like, you know, we've discussed the satanic appropriate reaction. At some level, you know, there's a certain appropriate reaction, but uh, also, like, sometimes panic is an appropriate reaction, you know, like if there's a fire. I guess yep. you need to, if you want to say cool headed and panic has negative connotations because if you're panicking, you know, you're not being rational and you're possibly putting yourself in danger. So I guess maybe panic is always a loaded term, but there's definitely times to be alarmed, maybe. And I think that some alarm around like the Internet and what children can be exposed to on there is definitely justified. And like if, you know, some belief in Momo that maybe is debunked like help some parent to like get there like i don't really think that that is harmful compared to like what actually is on the internet i don't know but yeah you know, exactly uh, exactly i, I and just I'm also you know not writing off momo uh, you know there's something evil about that that statue <laughs> I, I don't like it yeah yeah. Uh, I, yeah i also i just the last before we go because we did talk about how this all goes like back to mickey mouse i forgot that actually there is a subgenre of elsagate that is all about mickey mouse and Minnie mouse and i feel like there's even there's like a third female mouse that is like kind of a bad girl and then mickey mouse is also kind of like a bad boy who's always doing like naughty things and i i, I want to say it's like not a real disney character it's like somebody else that they made up to be kind of this like sexy like sinister like other female mouse for him and mm -hmm. there's like videos like i'm looking at a, a screen capture now where like Mickey is wearing sunglasses and like smiling devilishly and like tattooing. It looks like tattooing a butterfly on Minnie Mouse's back while she like grits her teeth. And then the other female mouse is like staring there, like looking. She has like a full sleeve of tats 
and she looks like kind of like turned on by it or like getting a sadistic pleasure out of watching like Minnie suffer. It's in just this, like what in this you know, wired so it's full article. Circle. In this full wired circle. article that was linked from that very uh, that that exact Atlantic article, uh, debunking Momo said a random browsing test with a toddler who wasn't actually shown any unpleasant content took us from YouTube native children's favorite Bob the Train to a few stubby fingered lunges at the tablet screen later, a fake Mickey Mouse cartoon with depictions of eye gouging, a parasite infested stomach, and small children setting each other on fire. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Very great. good. Positive. Yeah, Not thank you. like uh yeah, I, I think there I'm curious if there there really is like also one other thing I've seen people point now in with Elsa Gate is like that it sort of te- it has a tendency to teach like learned helplessness like in kind of you know Guantanamo Bay MK Ultra kind of way to um, teach what where Sorry. you know That's basically okay. it's showing like like these these characters getting like tortured at, or mm-hmm. getting like things taken away from them or you know all kinds of like kind of abusive stuff that kind of and then it's like repeated and reinforced over and over again so it's like a form of kind of, you know, virtual, like, observing learned helplessness be modeled. And in a way that's, like, even though it's ostensibly about, like, counting or shapes or singing the Finger Family song, you know? Oh, it's Daisy Mouse. That's who it was. Daisy Mouse Daisy is, Mouse. like... Okay. Daisy Mouse is fucking dangerous. Um, I don't know what is up with Daisy. I, I, at least, let me see. Let me, let me see if I can verify this daisy oh wait no daisy is the duck daisy duck my bad um oh yeah donald duck's girlfriend is daisy duck uh, yeah we should figure uh, out the yeah, mouse situation well, yeah. we'll have to ask kenneth anger i'm sure i'm sure he'll know although maybe he'll be upset it's like well no he'd be happy because it would be taking mickey mouse back to his puckish roots especially if they restored his tail and allowed him to pull on some udders of cows uh, <laughs> that's what i mean like this is really taking mickey mouse back to his puckish roots yeah, it really is. Um, yes. Uh, yeah, like like frozen Elsa eating soup with insects, jokers, and story is like one. Uh, no, they're teaching <laughs> the kids. They're teaching the kids to eat the bug and, and lift the pod. Um, oh my god, they but, are. They are. I mean, it is an interesting point that you made about like the sort of learned helplessness because Elsa and Spider Man, like in their actual like franchise content, like they're heroes. You know, like they like Elsa probably wouldn't be able to be tied up and like abused you know, because she has superpowers under normal circumstances, you know? So showing these characters in those situations could, like, be distressing and could create, like, certain, you know, ideas uh, or associations or, uh, yeah. I I mean, it's definitely not healthy under any circumstances. Uh, this is bad, bad news content for sure, for sure. Yeah. Um, and it's still going. It's like I'm still looking at it on YouTube. Like it actually they did make a little bit of a thing of like, oh, yeah, no, we, we got rid of anything that was like actually problematic. I remember there was also a thing of like there was a lot of like foreign. It seemed kind of like pedophiles, like watching a lot of these channels, especially anyone that like had actual like little kids in it and had like very creepy Sometimes I think people were, like, trying to decode things. Like, people on Reddit were going in and trying to see if there was, like, some kind of cryptology kind of thing going on with, like, people writing seeming gibberish, but in, like, a deliberate way. 
and just like really so it's like it's almost like a wayfair thing of like are these videos like it gets oh, just like a really dark this is place. an interesting quote from the same wired article uh recommendations are designed to optimize watch time there is no reason that it shows content that is actually good for kids it might sometimes but if it does it is coincidence says former youtube engineer uh Ulame chaslot who founded algo transparency a project that aims to highlight and explain the impact of algorithms determining what we see online Working at YouTube on recommendations, I felt I was the bad guy in Pinocchio, showing kids a colorful and fun world, but actually turning them into donkeys to maximize revenue. Mm. Sus. Huh. Yeah. It, it's probably scrambling people's brains. Wow. There's an episode about Peppa Pig being tricked into eating bacon. That's horrible. Oh, my. Uh, oh, my. They gave you meat as a clue. Yeah. Oh my God. No, they gave you meat as they a clue. They gave her meat uh, as a clue. Uh, yeah, oh it's really uh, just very, very awful. Uh, and yeah, uh, so yeah, in conclusion, just uh, if you have children, just don't let them use YouTube. <laughs> I don't know. I was yeah, just like, just yeah. don't let them use it. It's a don't, uh, don't let like anybody in your life, unless you think they can handle it. Like you just surf uh, on, you know. Yeah. Yeah, it's really sad. Like, uh, you know, I mean, I hear I've heard that like YouTuber is the number one job that like kids want to have when asked now. You know, like when I was a kid, it was like astronaut or what a fireman, like police, like, you know, which is bad in of itself. Like kids want to be cops like. uh, But, you know, uh, I almost feel like as bad as that is, it's more upsetting that they want to be YouTubers. Uh, yeah, that's not. That means that they're imbibing YouTube and like experiencing yeah. the world through YouTube. And I just don't. and they're just they aspire to just like be content creators who just like are endlessly exploited and like at the behest of like you know their audience and have to you know uh, get reviews calling them CIA. Uh, it's not a life for anybody, you know. <laughs> I well, I you know, I actually uh, I do appreciate that review so that we were doing the CIA's work for free because that means that we're not actually being paid by the CIA. So that's something. Yeah, good point. Good point. So um, and know. they did give us actually two stars. So I guess if we actually were working for the CIA then we would get one, maybe. We would get a one. I would hope so. Yeah. But, you know, we're uh, not. So, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I noticed that, you know, actually, hmm. you know what? One more thing. Uh, their username, not to put them on blast, uh, but their username is uh, I'm a dog. Um, huh. Huh. Could, oh. You know, maybe why the reason why they're upset isn't because of our comments about China. Maybe it's because of our Dogman episode. Oh, we don't mm. understand the real imperialism against the Yes, dog exactly. <laughs> As a subject in the imperial core of human civilization, you have been inculcated since birth uh, <laughs> in these baseline cultural assumptions of the Cold War propaganda in the Cold War between human and Dogman. Uh, sorry. Uh, Dogman here. I think this is a little uh, problematic. Hey, Dogman uh, here. Uh, you're doing the CIA's work for free. Um, anyway. Uh, no investigation. Yeah. No, no yeah, investigation. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. If you don't sniff yeah, no around, you have no right to speak. Googling Dogman doesn't count. You need to sit with our elders and learn, uh, directly from us. Uh, but anyway, yeah. All right. Well, so, I'm excited to have some Dogman listeners. Yeah, no, it's nice. Cool I'm glad that, you know, uh. Yeah, I'm glad that he gave mm-hmm. it a shot. You know, from I'm glad we're reaching them out there in the in the woods of Wisconsin. Yeah, or Skinwalker Ranch, or 
Valley in Utah. Yeah, Skinwalker yeah. Ranch, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah, I think uh, I think we can, you know, uh, leave it there for now. And yeah, we made it we through will... seven questions, but we'll, we'll make it through a fair amount. We're going to, you know, return, I think, and, uh, to the next part of this. Uh, yes, which I think will. will become increasingly common. It's becoming more common to do two-part Q&As than to do one-part Q&As at this point. Mm-hmm. We just um, can't help it. We Yeah, we well, I mean, I felt like, we, yeah, we committed to, to doing all these questions. Uh, the podcast is growing, which is good, but, uh, you know, it's becoming, the, the questions aspect, uh, you know, is becoming quite an undertaking, but we're still committed to it. For and now, we can keep it going. Just yeah, might definitely. Slower. Yeah, well, you know, depending on how long the podcast goes, we'll eventually get through it. We might, you know, if we do it for the rest of our lives, then we might <laughs> die before we get to the last question. But that's, that's not really our Never fault, ending. You know? uh-huh. mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Most of yeah. them are evergreen, though, so that's good. Yeah. So we'll be back next time with more Grotto questions. And uh, until that time, dear listeners, stay vigilant. Peace. Yellow bones, yellow bones, where 